the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman is here and smiling because there is sun outside and she sees a bright, lovely day in St. Louis. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Randy. Finally, some sunshine. Yeah, it's a good thing, isn't it? It is. Are you, are you got a problem there with your headphones? My headphones aren't working, and they're brand new, so this is just great. <laughs> find you some headphones. I'll tell you what, I've had the worst luck with headphones. My other one's broke. Oh, thank you, Scott. Five below, baby. <laughs> I know, I have Beats by Dre over here. I went out and bought brand new ones, and they don't work. This is day two that I've had them. Day two, and they broke already. Or maybe it's user error. I don't know. But either yeah, way. We, we just have to uh, either we'll, way. We'll, we'll figure we it out during a break. Uh, last night, the major leagues announced on MLB Network their finalists for all of their awards. Manager of the Year, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year. Michelle, guess how many Cardinals are on the list of potential award winners? Oh, let me run around the horn here, Randy. Okay, not... Any outfield? No. Okay, is it zero? Zero. Oh, it's zero. Okay. Your finalists for National League MVP are Mookie Betts of the Dodgers, Freddie Freeman of Atlanta, Manny Machado of San Diego. For your National League uh, Cy Young Award, you have, as your three guys, Trevor Bauer of Cincinnati, for the moment, you Darvish of the Cubs and Jacob deGrom of the New York Mets. You look to the Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year. Alex Bohm of Philadelphia. Raise your hand if you know who Alex Bohm is. Alec Bohm. Okay. I'm, I'm, I just raised mine to signify. I was waving at you. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, Jake Cronenworth of San Diego. We saw him in the playoffs. And Devin Williams, the St. Louisan of the Brewers. Those are your three finalists for National League Rookie of the Year. And, and Michelle has a beef here. Yeah, your do. National League Manager of the Year finalists include Kevin Cash. Mm-hmm. or da- uh, Kevin, uh, that's... Tampa, David right. Ross of the Cubs, Jace Tingler of the Padres, and Don Mattingly of the Marlins. Jace Tingler, great job. Don Mattingly, unbelievable given the circumstances. You mean to tell me that you really think David Ross had a harder road managing than Mike Schilt did, or that he did a better job given the circumstances of the season than Mike Schilt did? This is very classic. He won it before. We're not going to give it to him again. But a lot of the things that you're praising Mattingly for, Mike Schilt also had to endure. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The Cardinals did also make the postseason. Both teams finished two games over 500. I think we could agree that the Cardinals have a little bit more talent. I think what you said initially though Michelle is what it comes down to with the writers they say oh he won it last year he there's no way he could win it this year and do as good a job when Mike Schilt did in fact do as good a job now does he deserve 
the National League Manager of the Year. What we're saying is he should, at the very least, be one of the top three finalists, along with Mattingly right. and Tingler, if you're going to do that. And by the way, the Dodgers went 43-17. and 17. Their manager had to do a pretty good job with all those egos and all those salaries. To get, mm-hmm. And he had the opt-out of David Price. They had some things that happened along the way, too. That's right. So there are a lot of ways that you could have gone here. I, I'm with you. I think the the Cardinals finishing four games, three games behind the Cubs with what the Cardinals had to endure. I think it's reasonable. But the point is, when you look at players, when you look at award winners, and for the most part, the award winners came from playoff teams, for the Cardinals to have nothing to show for the postseason kind of tells you about where they are from the way they performed to a talent standpoint. I would lean more towards the way they performed because of the extenuating circumstances. But there's a reason that they were they only had the fifth best record in the National League. Because they have some areas of improvement. Yeah, right? and they do need to upgrade their talent level. You need to be able to go into a season, and I think we can pretty much go into a season usually and say, okay, Paul Goldschmidt's one of the best first basemen in the league, but if you go into 2021 and put Paul Goldschmidt on the Padres, is he even their second best player? Now, there's a lot of teams that it would have Machado and uh, and Tatis Jr. as their top two, but you put Paul Goldschmidt on the Dodgers. No, you put him on uh, the other top teams in the league, the Braves, and we don't know if Marcelo Zuna is going to be back, but when you look at Atlanta, with Freddie Freeman, who will probably be the MVP. Ozuna should have been in that mix. You have Acuna. You've got a load of good players in Atlanta. The Cubs have at least good names, even though they aren't performing well anymore. Right. Uh, and even within your own division, in addition to the Cubs, you've got some teams that appear to be on the rise. The Reds with a Eugenio Suarez, and they go out and get Moustakis. I mean, you, you could... One of those guys would certainly be hitting in the middle of the Cardinal lineup. Point is, the Cardinals, as you've said before, and it was said on this air by uh, Boog Shambi, Cardinals need to get more dudes. They just need some good dudes. Yeah. <laughs> they need to get more good dudes. Do you think that Paul Goldschmidt's style of play, the big fundy, works against him at all when it comes to things like this? Because he is so consistent. He is such an anchor for this team, and he would be for a lot of other teams, but there's no flash there. there there's no dramatics. His home runs aren't going to make you say, wow, oh my gosh, he's just going to put his head down and trot around. We're not going to ever talk about Paul Goldschmidt the way we talk about a Fernando Tatis Jr. That definitely would have, uh, uh, that would play a role in the way that he's perceived, but he just wasn't that great this year. He was good, but he wasn't great. Had an 883 OPS, only hit six home runs. Uh, people don't care about batting average anymore. He was 304. I, I just don't think that he was as good. But, Michelle, when he did have those MVP years, uh, uh, close to MVP, he's finished second, second, and third in his career in MVP voting. One year he was leading the league in OPS in 2013 at 952. The other year that he finished second, he's got a 1.005 OPS and hit 33 homers and drove in 110. The year he finished third, he had a 966, 36 homers and 120 RBIs. He's put up spectacular numbers in the past, Mm -hmm. but just hasn't won the MVP. I don't believe, not that he's not great and can't be a huge contributor to a winning Cardinal team, but I don't believe that at this age and where he is in his career that he's going to put up those kind of numbers anymore. 
Do you see anyone on the Cardinals team either now or someone that maybe could come through the pipeline that you think could even be in the conversation for any of these awards? Dylan Carlson's the only one. I don't see it with Bader. I know that last week John Mozeliak was effusive in his praise of Bader. Certainly not going to be Dexter Fowler. It's not going to be whoever the second baseman is. It's not going to be DeYoung. I was thinking maybe Flaherty for the Cy Young at some point. Absolutely, because we both picked him as the Cy Young Award winner this year. He's got the ability, but man, you've got a lot of good pitchers in this league too. Jacob deGrom is going to be around for a while, and he seems to win it every year. Uh, You're going to have Walker Bueller, who's right there in the conversation with Jack Flaherty. You're going to have uh, Kyle Hendricks still around, even though he's getting up there now. He's, I believe, 30 years old. But my, my point is there are going to be other pitchers that are capable of winning a Cy Young. Hugh Darvish, one of the finalists this year. If you look around the National League, there's a lot of guys that should be in that conversation. Um, a couple of the young guys with the, the Braves, Soroka and Freed, former high school teammate of Flaherty. That's right. Both of those guys should be in the conversation. So I think Jack Flaherty will be in the mix. He's capable of it, but I think it's hard to say, yeah, he'll be a favorite. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think if you leave DeGrom out of the conversation because I think he will be in that conversation every year. I I think in the National League, it's really going to be a tough thing to do. So you have one pitcher who you think could be in the conversation, one outfielder who you hope, based on projections, could potentially be in that conversation, and that's it? Yeah, right now, until they go out and get some people. And even when you look down the road, when you look at the prospects, when I look at the 2022 team, what I believe will happen, Nolan Gorman is the Cardinals' number two prospect at the moment. I guess he'd be number one now with Carlson here. But he has not shown a great deal of production at the minor league level. When you look at uh, a a guy like Montero, you hope that he turns out to be a good player. Andrew Kisner, you you hope. But there is no dynamic, can't-miss prospect that the Cardinals have outside of Dylan Carlson. So... We're dealing with a lot of hope as far as the Cardinals and getting better. And this year, when you look at those guys that we're talking about, how young Mookie Betts is, 28 years old, how young Machado is, 28 years old, Tatis Jr. isn't even in the top three. Then you're talking about Juan Soto in Washington. You're talking about Acuna Jr. in Atlanta. Those are really dynamic major league players, and the Cardinals don't have anybody close to that. You know who we forgot to mention in this conversation, Randy? It was Matthew Libertor, because we know that he is going to turn into an award-winning pitcher. Yeah. So maybe if he comes up next year, he could win National League Rookie of the Year Well, a Rosarena wins American League Rookie of the Year. Yeah, there you that's, the, that's the thing. A Rosarena is going to play in the World Series and set all kinds of World Series records and then have a chance to win Rookie of the Year. Must be nice. Yeah, to have a guy like that. That would be cool. That would be cool. That would be really cool. So the Cardinals with nobody, nobody that is listed as an award finalist. At least they had the fifth best record in the league. Yeah, and you had some guys who are up for gold gloves, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I honestly, uh, just to wrap things up here, I I think that with what the Cardinals have and the fact that they're probably going to come back with the same group next year, I think we're looking at more of the same in 2021. I agree. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, a game of What's Better. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. What's Better is coming your way on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Air Comfort Service text line is open now, 65780 for Michelle and Randy. And with your questions of what's better, here is Scott Manziara. Scotty. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Get your two texts in, or actually you can send two, three, four. It doesn't matter. Just give us two different selections, and Randy and Michelle will tell you what's better. From the 636, what's better, the Chiefs or the Buccaneers? Oh, the Chiefs. The Ch- I'm not picking against the Chiefs. No. And the Buccaneers might be the best team in the NFC. But I believe, Michelle, with all due respect to Tom Brady and what they're doing defensively, I believe that if Kansas City played the Buccaneers, that they would drill them. I think that Kansas City, number one, Patrick Mahomes would have no trouble throwing five touchdown passes on that defense. And I think the Kansas City defense, coordinated by Steve Spagnuolo, He's found a way to shut down Brady in the past. I think he would again. Do you think that Spags is Brady's worst nightmare? He, I think he is, yeah. Because he he understands what Brady's kryptonite is, and that's mm-hmm. pressure up the middle, getting him off his spot. And Brady's never been able to adjust when teams do pressure him up the middle. And so, yeah, I, I would think that Kansas City and Tampa Bay would not be a good football game. We want your text to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780 from the 618. What's better? Cold or hot drinks? I'm going cold because I like iced coffee better than regular coffee. Oh, man, what I wouldn't do for coffee right now. (laughs) I also think even if you're really cold and you take a drink of something hot, it could potentially burn your tongue. Whereas if you're really hot and you take a drink of something really cold, it's immediately satisfying. I can't disagree. I do like to have during the winter months... Hot chocolate now and then. Not every day. I obviously don't drink coffee. But I could drink a cold drink every day of the year. Whether it's hot or cold outside, I could drink, you know, whether it's a cold water or something else. I could drink something cold every day. I could not drink something hot every day. Certainly not during the the summer months. You'd have to be insane to want to drink something super hot during summer months. But the coffee people, they do. Some people are very diligent and they want super hot coffee even when it's hot outside. And I can never do that. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, and the hot chocolate during the summer. Who, like, who would drink hot chocolate in July? Ew, that sounds terrible. So there have been a <laughs> lot of uh, Hallmark shows on my television as I walk through the family room during the course of the last month. And I guess it'll be on for the course of the next two months as well. And every time that there is a Hallmark show, at least two things occur. Okay. Number I've never one, seen them, so this is good oh, info. There, there's a tree lighting ceremony in each and every one. And you can weigh in here with the other things because I'm sure that you see them too. So everyone has a tree lighting ceremony and everyone says, would you like some hot cocoa? They call it, don't call it hot chocolate. They call it hot cocoa. Really? Yeah. Have time. you ever been to a tree lighting ceremony? Are Not they a, that prevalent? Never once in my life, but that is a staple. Every single one of the Hallmark Christmas movies has a tree lighting ceremony. And by the way, another thing that they have, and this is only in like 50% of them, is that one part of a couple 
is offered a better job elsewhere and they basically leave they're like on the precipice of leaving and then they come back and the two kiss and they apparently live happily ever after oh so it's true love and christmas magic that brings them back together it is yeah six five seven eight oh if you'd like to weigh in on any of the other templates for the hallmark movies so your family has gone full holiday already oh it's oh yeah big it's, time it's cooking big time. yeah <laughs> This one from the 618. What's better, McCarver and Gibson or Yachty and Wayno? <laughs> Somebody asked, is that from the text line? Yep, the 618 uh, texted that in. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you got the best starting pitcher in the history of the game? Well, they changed that. the rules because of him. No disrespect <laughs> to Uncle Charlie, but I think even he would choose Gibson. <laughs> I think he would. Let yeah. us know, 618, which one you're selecting too. <laughs> <laughs> This one comes from the 314. What's better, McDonald's or gas station fountain soda? Or fountain drinks? Oh, like Quick Trip? Yeah. Quick, Quick Trip and Mobile on the Run are, yeah, they, they blow away. All due respect to McDonald's, which only, I believe, has Coke products, right? Correct. I haven't been there in a while. Yeah. But uh, when you can go get a nice Dr. Diet Dr. Pepper, you got to go to the, the gas station. DDPs are so underrated. Can I uh, also throw out there, Michelle, and I know on a day like this, on an election day, this might be a little bit politically incorrect. Uh-oh, Randy. But I am all in on the styrofoam cup. Randy, 100%. no. Yes, I am. No. Yep. Uh-uh. A, a paper cup that can't keep ice cold drives me crazy. You so- know what, Randy? Your Christmas gift is going to be that I get you a tumbler that keeps things cold that you can bring and fill up yourself. I have tumblers, but you can't walk into a gas station with your tumbler and fill it up. I'm going to get you a Yeti, okay? We're going super high class here. No, do you see me every day? I'm I'm taking out the recycling. I'm trying to help the the earth, Randy. Styrofoam. So I figure if I have (laughs) one styrofoam cup once a week, so... What's it going to do? Just is it going to make how the, many styrofoam cups have you gone through in your life, and what is the carbon footprint oh of your my, styrofoam usage? Oh my goodness! That's right, you are drowning in styrofoam. So I am the reason for climate change. I would like for you to have to stand in front of a mountain of all the styrofoam. Oh cups man, that you Here, have used. Let in me your life. let me just give you an idea, okay? <laughs> I think I think I can. Uh, if you give us the next one, I, I will come up with a number for you. Okay? I can't well, wait for this because I know this used to be a daily thing for you. Where it you did, would stop right. and get yeah. a Mountain Dew, right? Yeah. Now, was that a fountain Mountain Dew that you would get? Always. Oh, okay. So this is a high number. Yeah, very high number. <laughs> well, I know for me, I used to not get the star from I hated the sound that it made. I hate it the oh way it feels gosh. on your fingers. What if your fingernail dents um, it? I hate that. So I was always like that until they made it to where the, you didn't really feel it for the ice. It kept everything colder. My friend's like, hey, why are you getting the plastic cup? It's going to sweat through all that yep. ice. Like, wow, that's a great idea. Let me try the styrofoam. Whoa, the styrofoam's a game changer. Guys. So I, I might be there with Randy here. Okay, here we go. Roughly, Michelle. Here we go. Ready? Yes. So this is the amount of styrofoam well, cups that Randy has gone through in his lifetime. Oh, a rough me, estimate. Let, let me double check this. Hold on. You could double it, too. Um. Okay, so. Okay, here's the number for you. Ready? 14,600. Oh, my God. I think we could fit 14,600 in this room. What yeah. do you think? I don't know. Think they'd stack up? Well, yeah, you? if they stacked. Yeah, you, you, you would fill the room, though. 
So yeah, figure roughly 15,000 styrofoam cups. That okay. I- and while you're thinking of that, here's a little ditty I found on the internet. Okay, good. When used with food products, styrofoam releases toxic chemicals into the food, causing a contamination, which can be hazardous to your health. Also, when exposed to sunlight, styrofoam can create harmful air pollutants, which contaminate landfills, and they deplete the ozone layer. Well, Michelle, a couple of points here. <laughs> a, I'm going to die at some point. We all are. We all are. And B, I think I'm going to die before all of the, the repercussions from my use of styrofoam cause payback to Before me. the the chickens come home to roost, <laughs> exactly. you're going to be gone? <laughs> are, they gonna, are they going to bury you in your mountain of, of styrofoam cups? a giant styrofoam cooler. <laughs> it's going to be like the mob. Text in 65780 if you know anything else about styrofoam cups that we aren't getting to. From the 314, foam cups are biodegradable now. The text line said it, so it's true, right? I'm not buying it. <laughs> so like at Smoothie King, they during last summer or maybe the summer before, they actually switched from styrofoam to plastic, and it caused an uproar because plastic just can't keep stuff cold. That's what I'm telling you. You need to get a Yeti. You need to get a Yeti cup. It's I do have the- multiple Yetis, Michelle. You can get a fountain drink koozie, too, apparently. Nothing keeps it colder than a Yeti cup. That Yeti cup could sit in your car on a hot day. You could go run errands for two hours. You come back, that puppy is still cold. It's a great invention. It is a great invention. By the way, from the 636 Hallmark movies, never let your girlfriend go home for the holidays. She's going to leave you for the dude who owns the local hardware store. Yes. <laughs> Noted. Now, is this her high school boyfriend or just some? Yeah, uh, it's either a high school boyfriend or somebody that she didn't necessarily pay attention to in high school who had a huge crush on her. But now is the hot hardware store owner who just happens to be single. Right. And have abs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Totally. Good to know. Uh, every Hallmark movie also has a misunderstanding that causes the couple to almost split before they figure out they love each other. Communication is key. Yep. Then 314, what's better, a car or an SUV? SUV. Yeah, me. SUV. Sometimes you need to just... Mess up the environment. Haul some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We've been a lot That's of right. food and drink combinations here, so I'll kind of rattle through them very quickly. From the 314, what's better, Miracle Whip or mayonnaise? Mayonnaise. I'm totally Miracle Whip, and I know this is an unpopular opinion, Michelle. This is like a, a hot take that people hate, but Miracle Whip just blows Hellman's mayonnaise out of the water. I actually like both, which is surprising, but... If I'm going turkey sandwich, which I think is the Mm -hmm. most common use of mayonnaise in in sandwich form, I'm going Miracle Whip too, Randy. All right. I like that. I like this room. This one from the 636. What's better, having an elite hitter or an elite pitcher? I still think at the end of the day, if you have an elite pitcher, you have an opportunity to win. Now, it used to be, not anymore because players really don't want to, It used to be that you could manufacture a run. And if you teach your players how to do it, you still can. You cannot manufacture pitching. You can't make pitching. But you can take a walk, steal a base, move a runner, and hit a sack fly. And you can find a way to make a run and win a 1-0 game. You cannot make a pitch. You you can't make a pitching performance. So I'm going to go elite pitcher. I'm going to go elite hitter because I haven't seen one in so long that I would like an elite hitter. And guess what? I remember last season when Jack Flaherty was as elite as elite can get two, two postseasons ago, and it didn't get them no. as far as they needed to go. You need an elite. And I have seen Albert Pujols be an elite hitter and carry a team. 
Randy Rosarena just did it. I mean, think about it. But those I would guys rather have an elite some... hitter that's going to be up several times a game being able to make an impact for us rather than a guy who's just going to pop in every few days, whether he's dominant or not. Okay, L- let me throw this out there for you. Game 5, 2011 playoffs, Cardinals and Phillies. Yes, I remember. Albert Pujols did not perform. You're going to give me the one that you know is going to work against my argument because I love that game and I love Chris Carpenter. Well, uh, okay, I can go with, how about game game seven of the 2006 NLCS, Jeff Supon performed and Albert Pujols didn't. But how many times that the Cardinals have won the World Series has have they not had an elite hitter who stepped up? How many times has it been a pitcher that's solely carried them? Like 64, 67, 82. Yeah, I can't go back that far. Um, let's see. Oh. I just, in, in recent memory, I'm thinking of Big Poppy. I'm thinking of Albert. I'm thinking of these guys who come up and they're the ones that are, they get Randy Rosarena, as Scott mentioned, that can carry a team. I would just prefer to have a guy who's going to make an impact for you several times a game than a guy who... Uh, there's no doubt that you need hitters. I, I think you need three impact hitters. It'd be great if you could have both. Yeah, well, I think you do need to have both. If you're going to win a World Series, you need to have both. But I'd rather go with the pitcher. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Uh, let's see. Can I give you one? Yeah. What's better, selfish styrofoam Randy or Hallmark Randy? Oh. Pfft. Definitely Hallmark Randy. You think? Yeah, because... Yeah. <laughs> Tis the season. <laughs> and I want you to be environmentally conscious, Randy, not selfish styrofoam, Randy. <laughs> All right. I'll be a minute. I'll, I'll do my best. Speaking of that, today is election day, and we want to know from you what manager or coach would be the best president of the United States of America? Mike Schilt? We're going to hear some of the things that Mike Schilt would say to his cabinet after they had a, a pretty good run here. Coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. On this election day, we want your mic drops with the Air Comfort Service mic drop feature. Uh, you can just use the free 101 ESPN app and you can send us a mic drop or you can just send us a text via the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We want to know what coach or manager in sports, pro or college, would be the best president of the United States of America. So we want to hear from you. And Michelle, we want you to go first. I know that you've been working hard at this. So I have one coach, Randy, and I have one player, one athlete that I think would make outstanding presidents. Which one would you like first? I'll go with the the coach, a guy who's been a leader. So when I was thinking of factors that were important to me in selecting my coach that was going to potentially be the president of the United States, I wanted this person to be able to bring people together despite their differences. Um, a president has to work with people who has a, have a lot of egos, other world leaders to get things done. And here in our own country, there's a lot of people with a lot of agendas and the president needs to make sure that everyone is hopefully working together to do things for our country as a whole. I also want someone who's a worldly person who understands that our country is filled with people from different walks of life and who also, again, can be great with international affairs. Mm-hmm. And I want someone 
someone who is passionate in their convictions, who stands for something and isn't afraid to say what they feel. So that's why I'm going to go with Steve Kerr of the Golden State Warriors. You know, he, he was raised in Beirut and L.A. because his father was a college president. So he's a very educated person. He's an international person. We know that he had to deal with a ton of personalities and egos and had to get them to work in concert with one another for him to go on and win championships with his team. And he's always a guy who is not afraid to say what he feels, whether you agree with him or not. And he seems like a very nice down-to-earth person. So I think he could work well with others, and I think he would have what is best for our country as a whole, hopefully, <laughs> um, you know, as, as his main goal as the president. It's a great call. Great leader. And obviously, he knows how to win. And that's what you want is a smart guy who surrounds himself with smart people and they they wind up winning. Who else you got? So my other person, and you're not going to like this, but I was thinking about this last night when I was watching the game. And how about Tom Brady as a leader? <laughs> Think about it, Randy. He would be so well-dressed. He would look so great at the podium. He does every Sunday. We know that. But think about how many different people that he's brought in and made better. He, I was looking this up last night. During his New England era, he had 541 touchdowns to 77 different targets. He is bringing in Antonio Brown and having him live with him. He's taking people of different circumstances and saying, hey, what is it that's bothering you? How can I make it better? And isn't that what we want out of a president? Somebody that isn't just going to look for someone that can help them in some way. They're going to look at other people and take the time and the care to say, hey, I'm going to look at everybody and see how I can make you better. 77 different targets, Randy. He's getting Tony Robbins for Antonio Brown. (laughs) This is a guy who can elevate all sorts of people and make them better. And again, I think that he would be great in the White House press briefings. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's pretty good. I, I, I like those. I prefer a guy that wins and can have fun and celebrate after doing something good. I I want a president that when he gets up to that podium after announcing a huge economic deal with another foreign power that's able to say something like this. I'm going to go get the biggest cheeseburger you've ever seen. Uh, Prime, the biggest one. And uh, might be a double. That's my guy. Andy Reid is my president. That's a pretty good one. Uh, yeah, because when, when he wins, when, when we get that deal done, I'm going to get the biggest cheeseburger you've ever seen. Now, a couple of other great leaders, uh, and it, it's interesting because they, they come from the same tree. Uh, Tony Dungy was a guy that said, no excuses. No, n- n- You don't need to make excuses. Just just get her done. By the way, I'll go all the way back to Bill Parcells. He would have been the best ever. He's 84 now, but mm-hmm. uh, he, he would have been the best. But Tony Dungy or two of his disciples, Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin would be great. And Herman Edwards. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what would translate to you play to win the game. Yeah. For politics. What would be the thing yeah. that we do something to do something? Yeah. You play to win the war. (laughs) Well, Randy, if we're going into war, may I throw someone else on the table? Yes. May I throw another presidential candidate Mm -hmm. on the table? If we're going into war, if we're going to have someone be our commander in chief, there's nobody I would rather have than this guy. Make hard plays. Support each other. Five-man units in all three zones. Leave numbers around the puck. Pump it up here. We're here for a reason because we're a good hockey team and we're going to come home with a cup here tonight. Let's Go. Watch out, world. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. Craig Berube would be a great <laughs> commander-in-chief. He would. 
So we need to get him citizenship. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll uh, push the, it through. We can push it through. From the 618, I can't believe neither of you said Tony LaRussa. Tony would, he's a spectacular leader. He, he would be wonderful in that job. So, yeah, but we wanted you to be able to say it. That's why we gave you the text line, 65780. Tony is a great leader. He would be an awesome president. My only concern is would he be more concerned with watching baseball than for, than talking about foreign policy? He would. You know, could he, I'm, I'm good with that. Could he divest from baseball enough to be the Evidently president? Evidently, you can be president and not worry about that stuff. That's true. <laughs> How about this? I would love to see a presidential debate between Ed Orgeron and Bill Belichick. Oh. <laughs> you would need a translator on both sides from the mumbling and the Cajun yeah. accent. Yeah. And the Bayou, Louisiana. Yeah. We're on to London. <laughs> We're on to China. <laughs> Go Tigers. Go America. Go, go America. Go America. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Greg Popovich for president from the 314. Derek Jeter is my athlete. Derek Jeter. I want that person to text in why. He is the captain. He's been a great leader. He does have an interesting and secretive life, which would be fun as the president. Um, but I don't know. Well, I guess the Marlins have turned a corner. Yep. Very likable. Understands winning. And he's obviously, he's worldly because he's dated Miss Universes. That's true. We know that. Several. From the 314, Doug Armstrong is my president. He takes emotion out and makes good decisions. That You want a, ra- a guy who's going to make a rational decision. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're in a high-pressure situation, Doug Armstrong is the guy. From the 314, Joe Gibbs, again, like Parcells in that era, there were so many good character coaches in the NFL, and you could have picked any different style. You had Gibbs, you had Parcells, you had Ditka, you had Bill Walsh. There were so many guys that you could have chosen from in the 80s in the NFL. It would have been really funny. I have one for you from the 573. I think the only answer is The Rock. The Rock would be tremendous, wouldn't he? I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's coming down the pipeline. He's done <laughs> everything else. Once he brings back the XFL, maybe then he runs for president. He would... I would think cause a little bit of fear in the hearts of ne'er do wells yeah. that would want to do th- something to our country. Can you imagine terrorists across the world saying, "I yeah. smell what America's cooking"? We're not going to yeah. mess with that. From the three one four, Ray Lewis for president, he'd kill the competition. See what you did there. He'd slice and dice them. See what you did there. All right. Also, Coach K, look at his Olympic teams. Coach K is a guy that gets along with everybody mm-hmm. and, and would find a way and would make us a, a kinder, gentler society. Uh, we have Lisa with a mic drop on 101 ESPN. I would pick, I would be team Adam Wainwright. I think he looks at the at the world as a whole place. That's why he does all what he does for water. I think he brings people together. And I think where he's very smart is where he doesn't know something, he would bring other very intelligent people to the table and bring people together. Adam Wainwright. Good call. President Waino. President Charlie. Uncle Charlie. Yep. How about this one from the 417? Urban Meyer for president. He never has a job longer than four years anyway. It's a great point. <laughs> and you know what? When he gets that job, he does well. Yeah. So he could go yeah, in. He's a winner. He could do it at a top right. level for four years, and then he's like, I'm out. <laughs> from the 314, Mike Leach, the Navy would be epic. So would any sort of press briefing at all. The press conferences would be fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? But you would never get him off the podium. (laughs) No, it would be fun, though. It would would be be hours long. 
And uh, finally, from the 314, the current coach that I think could run for president would be Mike Tomlin. He's very well-spoken. He's firm but fair. I would say Mike Schilt because he has a great personality, and he seems to be fair no matter the skin color. The only problem he would have is to get the permission from the Cardinals to even run for president. (laughs) Do you think they would let him? Uh, Yeah, they might let him, but they'd tell him what to do. Okay, here's your game plan. Here's your war strategy. (laughs) Right. Not a lot of offense. Here's a mic drop from Chris. All right, so for a coach and player president, I'm going to second the uh, the vote for Herm Edwards. I don't think he's going to take any crap from anyone, and I think he's going to give everyone a shot. And on top of that, his tagline is going to be, you vote to make a change. Thank you. Also, player president, let's go with Russell Wilson. I mean, he's just a leader, born and raised on Wisconsin. Can you imagine our country, if we had Russell Wilson as president, we wouldn't have any limitations. It would be, <laughs> I can't even do it, unlimited, Randy. Gosh, that was so bad. He's disqualified just for that. I'm sorry. Okay. Hey, we're going to do more mic drops, more texts throughout the course of the show. But next up, more texts from you for Take It or Leave It, which is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we invite your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got a little game of take it or leave it, Tioli, and we want to hear from you. Michelle, last night, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers held off the New York Giants, beat them by two. And I really thought that the Giants, aside from some bad throws by their quarterback, played well. And they remind me, under Joe Judge, the former Belichick assistant, of the way that Tony Dungy's Buccaneers ascended in his first year there. Take it or leave it. The Giants will head into the last two weeks of the season with a chance to win the NFC East. They're one and six right now. One and seven. I'm going to take it just because of the division, (laughs) because I think it's going to be a battle of terrible teams down the stretch. Yep. I I don't think Philadelphia is going to go on a roll. And to your point, I think the Giants will benefit from being in such a bad division. They, They nearly, first of all, they've lost six games now of their seven by one score. They, they've been one score games. 17-13, 17-9, 37-34, 22-21, 25-23. They get the Washington football team. Then they get the Eagles at home. Then they go to Cincinnati, a tough one at Seattle. But then they get the Cardinals at home coming across the country. They get Cleveland. Uh, and, and they still get, have a game with the Cowboys left. I think that they have a chance because I think they're getting better and better as the season goes along. And I always root for them because they've saved America on two separate occasions. That's true. Hmm? They have. Go Giants. Go Big Blue. So you're a G-Men fan because totally. of that. Yep. Always and forever? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they saved the world. How can you not root for them? Was there one of the two that you liked better? Oh, the one that with, with uh, the Michelle Smallman when you bequeathed me the 19-0 and Patriots patch that I still have <laughs> in my office. That was one of the best Christmas gifts I've ever given anybody. I found it awesome. on the internet. You know, they went to ship those off 
mm-hmm. the merch you can't have when it doesn't happen. And I found one on the internet, and I thought you would really like that. Yeah, so that was the most important one, absolutely. Well, and Randy, I'll have you know that I was in fifth grade when that game happened, mm-hmm. and this is when my gambling, I mean, my betting started. Um, uh-huh. I bet my teacher that the Patriots would win, wouldn't have homework, and the Patriots lost, so I had to do my homework. Don't bet against bags. That's the moral of that, of that story. That's right. Okay, so last segment we were talking about coaches, managers, athletes that would be great presidents, that are great leaders. Take it or leave it. I am. We are all surprised that you didn't mention Kurt Warner. Um. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I saw a lot on the text line. Dick Vermeil, Kurt Warner, a lot of yeah. those guys, and I'm like, I'm surprised Randy didn't come out with that out of the gate. Yeah, Kurt would be... He would be great in trying to bring everybody together. And he obviously is a great leader. So, yeah, I I think that that's a legit shot. And he might wind up in politics one day. I could see it. Yeah. Scotty, what do we got? All right, let's go to the 636 first for Take It or Leave It. Everybody knows what today is. It's National Sandwich Day. Take It or Leave It, the Turkey Club with Bacon is the best sandwich. Turkey Club with Bacon is pretty darn good. I'm going to leave it. You know what, Michelle? There's a couple of things. Number one, a, a great Reuben sandwich is hard to beat. The, the the Randy sandwich that they had down at Potbelly last year was spectacular. I never got that, and I should have. That was a yeah. big miss by me. What yeah. was on the Randy? Uh, it's mounds of turkey along with uh, lettuce, tomato, black olives, and ranch. It was great. Interesting choice with the black olives. Love black olives. Mm. They, they they make many a meal. Whether you put them on pizza or sandwiches, they're great. So I can't go with the turkey club with bacon. I, I would go with the Randy from Potbelly or a Reuben. Or have you ever been to the Posh Nosh in Clayton? I have not. Their hot pastrami on a Kaiser roll is mm, unbelievable. I don't know if this counts. I don't like bacon on my sandwiches anyway, so I'm going to leave it. Okay. But an Italian sub beats anything. Italian sub is very good. A hot Italian sub. Yeah. Several slices of various meats. You've got your cheese in there. It's hot. A little, little oil, vinegar, maybe some seasonings, banana peppers. We need to head on over to Joy's. You're getting me hungry here. I can't, Randy. Oh, that's right. You can't right now. Yeah, in a month and a half we will. Thank you. We will. <laughs> Should that be in my break my break meal? Yeah. Joya's. In the 618, take it or leave it. The Cardinals tank this season, come back with a fat wallet for 2022, and sign multiple free agents. All right, I'm going to take that partially. I don't think that they're going to tank. I think they're just going to kind of punt on the season, but they still might win. They yeah. still, even though they they aren't. But I don't see the Cardinals, Michelle, getting into a situation where they're ever going to be a big spending team. Yeah, I'm going to leave it on both parts, actually, because I don't think they're going to tank either. I think they're going to roll with the group that they have. And even if you remove a couple people from the equation, they're still a team that will be competitive within the division. Is it a World Series contender? No, but they're not going to be a terrible team that's tanking. And I don't think even if they saved a ton of money that heading into 2022, that it wouldn't be the youth movement that we've been talking about. Maybe they'll go out and make a deal, but I don't see it being a massive deal. By the way, we talk about supply and demand. We all learned that in high school, right? In our economics class. After the 2021 season, 
Francisco Lindor, Cleveland, uh, Corey Seager, Dodgers, Carlos Correa, Astros, Trevor Story of Colorado, and one other big-time shortstop are all free agents. So there will be five free agents on the market, five free agent shortstops, and probably not enough teams to uh, give them enough money. Who is? Uh, let me think of the other one here. By the way, Andrelton Simmons is right now, uh, and Crawford is, but he doesn't count. So I'll think of who the other one was. But there's five shortstops, five premier shortstops that are going to be free agents after 2021. From the 573, take it or leave it. Tony will have a world championship in Chicago in three years or less and then ride off into the sunset again. I'm going to take it. I think I'm going to leave it. He's got a good team. But remember, he didn't win a World Series here until 2006. He started in 96. And uh, I think that that beating the Yankees, beating Houston, and Houston's not going to be what they were, beating Oakland, you're going to have your hands full. And Tampa's going to be tough for the next few years, too. I think traversing those playoffs is going to be difficult. From the 636, take it or leave it, Pittsburgh would have the same record even with their backup quarterback. Pittsburgh Steelers? Yes. Leave it. I'm going to leave it. Yeah, no. Big Ben's the difference. They didn't make the playoffs last year when they didn't have Big Ben. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And by the way, we do want to hear from you in regards to the fight coming up at 830. Text us 65780 with the word fight and your name. And perhaps Scotty will pick you as the fighter for today. The fight go yesterday. Dan won. All right. That'll go, Danny. And so it's (laughs) Correa. Let me get this straight. Seeger, Correa, Lindor, Story, Anyway, there's... Oh, uh, Javi Baez. Javi Baez is... So there's five shortstops that are going to be on the market after 2021, presumably, as we sit here right now. Next up, was it Belichick or was it Brady? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 8.05 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. After losing three games in a row, the New England Patriots are 2-5 and five and have about a 10% chance of making the playoffs in 2020. Meanwhile, after winning last night, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in first place in the NFC South, and their chances of going to the playoffs are about 85%. Of course, the Patriots always used to make the playoffs. The Patriots also used to have Tom Brady along with Bill Belichick. They still have Bill Belichick, but they don't have Tom Brady anymore. And Michelle, it looks like if we're going to pick a reason for the Patriots' dominance over the last 20 years, right now, after half a season of 2020, it looks like Brady was the reason. What did I say last week in the Belichick-Brady divorce? Brady got the house, the cars, the vacation home, and the wedding china. It looks like he also got the ring back, and he's pawned <laughs> it for some cash. He yeah. got every possible thing that you could want out of the out of this divorce. And the Patriots certainly have a lot of things working against them. They had those opt-outs. They've had injuries. They had mispractice in game time because of positive COVID-19 tests that came up. Cam Newton is certainly not Tom Brady, and I think that that's something that the Patriots are having to deal with. I'm more interested to see what Bill Belichick does after this season after this how is he going to bounce back from this right now because Tom Brady got to handpick his situation mm-hmm. this Patriots team had some cracks in it when Tom Brady was there yes he still was playing at a high level and was able to 
He looked, patched over some of those he cracks. He patched over some of it. But he got to go to Tampa. He he brings in AB. He brings in Gronk. They already had a, a strong team there. So he walked into a situation that was already before he was there much better than the current Patriots situation. But I think he is proving week in and week out that he was a huge reason for the Patriots' success. And I think that when he left New England, what's their identity now? Bill Belichick is not enough to make their identity. He's had a lot of bad personnel decisions over the past few years. But Tom Brady was the identity of the New England Patriots. So I'm more interested to see, as far as my evaluation, what what Belichick does after this year. ESPN's Mike Wilbon on the Patriots' dynasty. There are some things Cam Newton can still do, and you can still see the competitiveness, and he, he he's ready to battle you and do all those things. But it seems like we see this with a lot of quarterbacks. We talk about Andrew Luck. We've seen guys who physically get diminished because they've taken so much punishment over the years, and Cam Newton seems to be in that place. Look, New England, they lost people who opted out you know, late in the season right. in August. They got lots of money. They got lots of know-how. I am not ready to say this is the dying of a dynasty just yet. I mean, are we going to say it's the dying of a dynasty, even though it's less dynastic, at Golden State? Or do we think with good health and sort of a cupboard that's full again, like New England seems to be able to do, that they could be back in the mix? I think the Patriots could do a similar thing next year. Each of the players that opted out will, if they return next year, be in their mid-30s. And the Patriots still have a huge cap issue because of dead money for mostly Brady next year. The contract that they gave him causes them next year to have about a $20 million cap hit, he and others. So it's going to be hard to go out and get players in free agency. And as Bill Barnwell notes from ESPN, and he had a great piece at ESPN.com, it's not like Belichick has done a great job of drafting. I went back and looked through the last five or six years of drafts for the Patriots. This is a team that was grabbing guys like Devin McCourty, Rob Gronkowski, you know, superstar players in the first two rounds of the draft. Last five or six years, they're just drafting guys. Like they're drafting guys like Sonny Michelle and Keel Harry and Jordan Richards, guys who either really maybe aren't great players, if they're solid players at best, or guys who aren't even making the Patriots for an extended period of time before going on elsewhere. I mean, it's they really have not drafted well at the top of the draft. And so I think those stars who kind of would figure in to be playing key roles right now on this team post Brady, they're just not there. Part of what made Belichick great is that he wasn't a spectacular talent evaluator and he coached guys up from that 20 year run. They only drafted two guys that are going to be in the hall of fame. It's going to be Brady and Gronk. Nobody else that they drafted is going to the Hall of Fame, but they did a great job of getting pieces to the puzzle and piecing them together. But everybody else is drafting better now. The game has changed dramatically. And to go back to our initial point here, I think Brady was a huge reason that Josh McDaniels was considered great and a huge reason that Belichick was considered great. And I don't know if you go out, what they need to do is they need to find another Tom Brady. Which is not going to happen. To be able to get a guy like that where they got him in the draft, it's just not going to happen. He's one of one. Tom Brady is one of one. You're not going to go out there and find another Tom Brady. But you bring up a great point with Josh McDaniels and how much Tom Brady contributed to so many people in New England's success, whether it was receivers that he made look better, whether it was Bill Belichick who he made look better. Josh McDaniels has been to other places as a head coach and an offensive coordinator and has not had success anywhere else without Tom Brady. So how, how do we know that Tom Brady was not so much 
are such a contributing factor to his success the same way he was Bill Belichick. And he elevated people around him. And they don't have their guys anymore. Uh, right now, they're missing uh, Julian Edelman. He, he's out for an extended period of time. They had two undrafted starting wide receivers. They kind of looked like the 2010 St. Louis Rams Yikes. the other day. And I, I just don't see it happening for Belichick. And I do believe that if we're going to pick a reason, and this is only halfway through their first season apart, I think Brady made Belichick look better than Belichick made Brady look. Agreed. I also think this is the way we operate when it comes to debates like this, is what happens in the immediacy of the divorce. Brady has proven his worth. Brady has proven Mm -hmm. how much of a contributing factor he was to the success in New England. And yes, as we mentioned, it's a caveat that we have to say there were opt-outs, there were injuries, there's a lot of money that's tied up in New England. But I, I kind of don't know if that matters when it comes to the debate. Whatever time, because the, the Bucks are on a great trajectory, right? Postseason, who knows if they'll win the Super Bowl or not. But when we look back on this five years from now, that's the first thing we're going to remember. Is as soon as the split happened, what did the Patriots look like and what did Tom Brady look like? And this is what we're going to remember. It's the first half of this season and Tom Brady going 5-2 and two and looking the way that he does. And the schedule for Tampa the rest of the way is pretty good, too. And... That's one of the other things that Belichick and Brady had together is a horrible division for 20 years, literally 20 years of having a horrible division in the AFC East. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's fresh take on 101 ESPN. Next up, there's a new movie out that you'll have the opportunity to see. It's about the hill in St. Louis, and we are going to talk to the director of that movie next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And coming up this week, you'll have an opportunity to see a great new documentary called America's Last Little Italy, The Hill. It's available at the 29th St. Louis International Film Festival and will be streamed online between November 5th and 22nd. And the director of the film, Joseph Paleo, a St. Louisan and Lindenwood alum, joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Joseph, thanks for taking some time with Michelle and I this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, first of all, I know that uh, you didn't know as much about The Hill as you know now. How did you decide to make this film? Well, our executive producer, Rio Vitali, uh, contacted me uh, with the idea to do a full comprehensive documentary on the Hill. Um, There had been a lot of books written, coffee table books, kind of telling the history, but no one had actually done uh, an an in-depth documentary, and that, that was kind of the goal that we had going into it. Joseph, in the title of the doc, you say it's America's Last Little Italy. And watching it last night, uh, someone in the documentary said it's the last real Italian neighborhood in the United States. We know that there's a little Italy in New York City. There's certainly the North End in Boston. But what distinguishes the hill from those other Italian communities? The difference really with the hill is the fact that you have this residential, these residential homes mixed with businesses of all sorts. Um, in these other little Italy's, they're more so just stretches of street with, you know, restaurants or trinket shops that are selling, you know, Italian flags. And, and the Hill has all of those as well. But it also has that deep tradition where, you know, these are shotgun homes. A lot of them were built by the men who came over 
um, to Italy, from, from Italy. Um, they built their own homes. They built their own neighborhood. And, you know, what's really separating it today is the fact that these houses are being passed down from the generation to generation. So you can have people now, you know, living in their great-great-grandparents' house that was built, you know, by their actual grandfather. And, you know, with Little Italy in New York, these are apartment buildings and stuff like that. I don't think there's that same level of pride that you see on the Hill. Joseph, there's a definite sports flavor to this film, and it's great. And we all know that Yogi Berra and Joe Gargiola grew up there and had great major league careers. What are some of the things that you learned about Yogi and Joe that people are interested in? I think the biggest thing for me was the fact of learning that there was a guy down on the hill named Joe Casino who ran the YMCA, and he started all of these sports clubs on the hill with the intention of keeping the boys out of trouble, you know, so that they weren't, they weren't necessarily joining, you know, they, they weren't joining into activities that they shouldn't be doing. Instead, they were, they were, you know, getting in these sports clubs and, and really it was just a hotbed for all this athletic talent. And, you know, from that comes Yogi and Joe. And, I, you know, I don't know if, if not for, for Joe Casino and these sports clubs, I don't know if, if those two, you know, go on to the success that they that they had. And, and Joseph, a lot of times kids will play and not become great. You'll you'll see a kid that's thirteen or fourteen and he winds up having his athletic career end there because he peaks. How good were these two? We knew know they were great major league players, but how good were Joe Gargiola and Yogi Berra as kids? Well, that's one thing that I really wanted to you know, be specific about was was to keep it hill specific. I didn't really want to get into the fact that, you know, Yogi went on with all the stuff with the Yankees and, and Joe with the Cardinals. I wanted to keep it hill specific. And, you know, we were actually able to interview five or six of Yogi and Joe's childhood friends who are now, you know, 90 years old. And this is the first time that they had ever been interviewed telling these stories about, you know, playing playing recess, playing baseball and having having Yogi knock the ball out of the schoolyard or, you know, the fact that Yogi and Joe were so good that when they played these pickup games they had to split the two of them up because they couldn't be on the same team because the other team wouldn't even have a chance. So really these guys were, you know, phenomenal athletes from the get. I love that story. That's so cool. Well, one of the things, Joseph, that I really resonated with when watching the film, uh, because my family's Italian, came from Italy to the area. And it seems like my story is very similar to most families here. They came to America because there was a boom in the workforce and they wanted factory jobs and they came over in search of a better life. But one of the things that I really noticed in the film is the pride that these people took in building the hill and the pride that still exists there today. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they're just, you know, the Hill really is the perfect example of the American dream where, you know, they came over, you know, to to find a better life and, and here they find that life and they're able to build, you know, uh, a neighborhood that still exists to this day. Joseph Paleo, St. Louis and Lindenwood alum. The name of the film is America's Last Little Italy, The Hill. And one of the great memories that I'm sure those people that you talk to have of The Hill and the athletes that they produced is that 1950 USA soccer team, which beat England and is one of the iconic sports teams in not only St. Louis history, but in U.S. history. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, we were actually able to interview Bill McDermott um, to talk about the uh, 1950 soccer team. The most difficult part for us was, you know, no one actually was able to watch the game, so they don't really have, you know, a, a firsthand recollection of, of what happened. It was like it was coming over, you know, in the newspaper, and so there really wasn't any firsthand knowledge of it. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely an important part uh, of the Hills legacy. And, and, you know, just soccer alone in St. Louis is, you know, soccer and baseball together are so, are so connected. And, you know, that's no different on the Hill. What's the most interesting thing you learned while making this film? I would say, you know, in going into this project, like you said, there's, there's other little Italy neighborhoods throughout America. And I, I had been to a couple of them being Italian American myself, you know, whenever you go to a place you want to check out, you know, their little Italy. And I think that I, you know, I really just took the hill for granted. I didn't really recognize or appreciate how special it truly is that it still exists where you have these 52 square blocks. Um, you know, it's, it's really something that no one else has in that it's still, you know, for the most part, an extremely Italian neighborhood. You know, today you don't really see neighborhoods that have maintained that ethnic identity. And to have the Hill, you know, go through all of these ups and downs um, throughout over the course of these last 120, 130 years to still remain is something that's really remarkable. And you got so many great nuggets of information from old people that said that they had never been interviewed about the Hill before. So you got some some valuable intel here that future generations will be able to use that nobody else has ever taken advantage of before. Yeah, we really hope that, you know, that this is something that's going to be able to stand the test of time and that, you know, can can be shown to other you know, can can be shown to younger people throughout the, you know, for when these people are, you know, they're they're gone, that, that we still have this film. You know, the film is forever and it will remain. And you can be able to, you know, see these, these stories firsthand from the people that lived it. Joseph, if people do want to take advantage of seeing the screening, how can they go about it? Definitely, yeah. It's um, St. Louis International Festival. Uh, it's going to be streaming online the 5th through the 22nd. They can go on, get a ticket through Eventive. You're able to stream that to your television or um, you can watch it on your laptop, tablet. You know, we've had people that have even been watching it on their phone. We don't, you know, being being a film, uh, a film person, we don't recommend that. But, you know, however you're watching the film, we're just happy that you're taking the time. And, and you know, hopefully everyone enjoys it. Well, congratulations on this. We love it. We're very excited about it and glad that not only a St. Louisan, but a Lindenwood alum had the opportunity and the wherewithal to make this film. It's great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, Joseph, take care. Joseph Paleo, again, the name of the film is America's Last Little Italy, The Hill, and all you need to do is Google the St. Louis International Film Festival. Randy and I both watched it. It was a great film. Highly recommend it. And it's so interesting to learn about the history of one of the most special neighborhoods in our city. And especially because from our standpoint, there are so many sports ties. Yes. There are such great sports fans and such great athletes that have come out of there. So if you get the opportunity to check it out, do so. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up, we've got The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, Joe Listener, and in the blue corner, the undisputed.
of Morning Drive, please welcome Randy Carriker. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.33, that time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's get the fight going. Tim is going to be Randy's challenger today. Good morning, Tim. Morning, Michelle. You ready to go, Tim? You ready to take on Randy today? Yep. All right, cool. Let's, Question, do let's do it. Question number one. What year was Tom Brady drafted in the sixth round? Was it 2000, 2001, or 2002? Go with 2001. All right, question number two, Tim. Who was the last Cy Young Award winner from the NL Central? Jake Arrieta, Zach Granke, or John Lester? Jake Arrieta. Question number three for you, Tim. Where did Saquon Barkley go to college? Was it Ohio State, Penn State, or Michigan State? Ohio State. And your final question, Tim. How many different major league teams has Trevor Bauer pitched for? Two, three, or four? Go with three. Okay, we're going to check score here. Tim, how's your morning been? Did you vote today? Not yet. I'm kind of just waiting for the lines to die down. Last time I voted around 11.30 and only waited about 10, 15 minutes. Oh, nice. Yeah, Scott was just having this conversation with me in the break. He's got to vote after the show, and he's very concerned about the lines. But I like your strategy there. <laughs> My wife went this morning and turned around and came right back home. Oh, because the lines were so long? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yep. wow. My brother did the exact same thing, Tim. Wow. Randy, say good morning to Tim. Hi, Tim. How you doing? Good morning, Randy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. Not, not only is Tim your challenger today, he's our voting scouting uh, scout out there. He's telling us about the lines. Yeah, Patrick Carricker just uh, took an hour and, uh, boy, little uh, hour and 20 minutes to get through. Dang. At least it's yeah. a beautiful day outside. That's true. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah, bring your coffee, bring your headphones, Cuba podcast, maybe the newest episode of Small Talk. There you go. And uh, just power through. Good call. All right, Randy, question number one. Yes. What year was Tom Brady drafted in the sixth round? That would have been the 2000 draft. Question number two, Randy. Who was the last Cy Young Award winner from the NL Central? Let's see. You've had a couple of DeGroms. The Scherzers. The Cards. No. Arietta won it in 15. 17, 18. So Scherzer, Scherzer, um, DeGrom. Arietta with the Cubs. Question number three, Randy. Where did Saquon Barkley go to college? He went to Penn State. And your final question, Randy. How many different major league teams has Trevor Bauer pitched for? He has pitched for the, the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Just those two. We've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Kim. Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Sorry, Tim. Good job. Good effort. Randy beat you three to two. Just edged out. So here are our 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 answers. Our our answers. Wow, that was English language is fun. Our our answers. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round in the 2000 NFL draft. Do you remember what pick he was? Anyone? Anyone? 199. 199, correct. The last Cy Young winner from the National League Central was Jake Arrieta. That was back in 2015. Saquon Barkley went to Penn State from 2015 through 2017 and made... If I could get it together today. And Trevor Bauer has pitched for three teams, Randy. He has pitched for Arizona, Cleveland, and Cincinnati. Oh, I forgot about starting with the D-backs, yeah. That's right. Tim, thanks so much for playing. Thank you. Always an honor. Going against Meg Mind. <laughs> Appreciate it. Good to have you with us. Thank you. And uh, we do, even if you do have to stand in line, we implore you to get out and vote for whatever team you're voting for today. That's right. Uh, it, it is your privilege as an American to get out and do so, so take advantage of that privilege and do it. Make your voice heard. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's, hey, you never know that we had a vote, uh, a national vote that was determined 20 years ago by less than 200 votes in Florida. So you never know when your vote is going to be the one that makes the difference. Are you voting today, Randy? I will vote. Yeah, after the show is over, I'm going to head on out. And one of the cool things this year about the county is that you can go wherever you want in St. Louis County if you're registered in the county, and you can vote there. I would have liked to have voted at Bush Stadium. Can you still? Can you? Is that a thing today? Are we allowed to vote at Bush Stadium? Let's find out. But I'm not registered in the city, so it doesn't make any difference at all for me. But if you do have the opportunity, I know that Flaherty and the Cardinals had talked about trying to open up Bush Stadium as a voting place. So text us if you're voting at the ballpark today, 65780. I voted early, so I just Smart. get to sit back and watch things unfold today. You and 100 million other people. <laughs> yes. And I didn't get the sticker, which is normally, you know, you feel so accomplished after you vote. You feel like such an I American. Voted. Yeah, this is my privilege. Um, but I didn't get the sticker, so it's just in my mind. Okay. I have the mental sticker. I'll be wearing around one of those stickers today, I'm sure, after I stand in line for an hour. Yeah, there you go. More. Wear it tomorrow. Wear it with pride. I will. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, week number eight in the NFL is complete, and we've got our four downs next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Four downs with Carriker and Smallman. First down. Okay, Randy, well, the Bengals, they pulled off a 31-20 upset over the Tennessee Titans. So let's talk a little bit about our guy, Joe Burrow. He completed 26 of 37 passes, 249 yards, two touchdowns, and this was a big win over a Titans team whose only previous loss was at 3.0 L at the hands of Randy Carriker, still undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. And he did it without some key pieces, including... Their starting left tackle, Jonah Williams. Their starting center, Trey Hopkins. Their starting right tackle, Bobby Hart. Or their starting running back in Joe Mixon. Since the Bengals took Joe Burrow number one overall, he's completed 67% of his throws, and he looks like the real deal. So the Bengals, Randy, are 2-5-1. and one. It's their bye week. And listen to what they have coming up after that. They have a tough draw with the Steelers when they resume. But after that, the Washington football team, the Giants, the Dolphins, and the Cowboys. They're going to close things out with Pittsburgh again, the Texans, and the Ravens. But they have a winnable stretch there in the middle and if Joe Burrow and this offense continues to roll and the defense progresses I wonder if we're talking about a playoff team and how fun would that be to see Joe Burrow and the Bengals in the playoffs wouldn't that be fun to see him take the Bayou Bengals to a national (laughs) championship and then the Cincinnati Bengals the Houday Bengals to the NFL playoffs that'd be pretty cool that would be fun he's very impressive he is very impressive second down 
Michelle, I hope folks didn't walk out on the Broncos the other day when they trailed 24 to 3 in the third quarter. And by the way, Drew Locke told the fans, you're leaving too early. You're leaving too early. Locke going 14 of 18 for 155 yards and three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and leading the Broncos to a 31-30 victory over the Los Angeles Chargers. Why did this happen? Because at halftime, Locke said, quote, I just got up in front of the offense and I said, listen, it's so easy for us to come in here and yell and scream and get mad about what we're doing bad, but we just need to man up. And when the plays come our way, we need to make them, myself included. I'm not yelling at y'all. I'm obviously talking to myself right now, screaming at myself right now. And he finally settled down after screaming at himself and led an epic fourth quarter rally for the Broncos. There are those including some in our industry who believe that Drew Locke isn't the answer. He showed on Sunday against the Chargers that he can be the answer for a very young Broncos offense. Man up. That's all you need to do is man up. But we know that Drew Locke has swag and he's proving that he can be a leader with that swag and that confidence and that people want to believe in him. And he can spit some lyrics too, as we know. That's right. So that's important. What was that? Young Jeezy, I believe. Yeah. That's right. So he's a perfect leader for a young team like that. Quick aside, I am so confused about people from St. Louis or from the Missouri area that say y'all. I'm like, we are not in the South. I know Missouri's kind of the sneaky South, but I just hear people saying y'all all the time. I'm like, where'd you pick up this y'all? I know well, Scott has from, you know, he got it from Texas, but it'd be like if I was walking around because I spent time in New England saying, hey, what a wicked great day today is. People would make fun of me. We well, are not a y'all place. Michelle, see, you spent time in New England. So it, it's one thing if you would bring it back from New England. We are in the SEC in Missouri. That is true. We are officially in the SEC because we're saying y'all. So we say y'all. But it just takes so much to type the y'all. You have to type the Y, the apostrophe. I know. It just takes so much more effort to say and type y'all. I think people think it sounds cool. I I disagree. I I I say y'all now and then. I I don't. Do you? Rarely, but I. What are y'all doing? No, I don't do that. I do it more as a as an homage to my friends in the South. Like, give me an example. Use it in a sentence, please, Randy. Okay, how about if I use it in question form? Okay. Uh, so like an Alabama fan, how y'all going to do today on a Saturday? And against- you would really say that? Oh, yeah. Maybe. What are y'all fix, not. fix to do today? Finn, Finn. Finn, yeah. What, what y'all fit, Finn to do? I can't do it. <laughs> Third down. Okay, Randy. Why don't y'all take it? Anyway. All right. Let's talk about Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins. Tip of the cap to Brian Flores. He made that tough decision to go with Tua Tungavailoa over the undisputed leader of their team, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was playing really well. And they had Tua's first NFL start this weekend. He did just enough to make sure that his team got the win. 93 yards, 12 of 22 passing. But the star of this show is that Miami defense. That defense is going to keep Jared Goff up at night. You hate to see it. You really hate to see it. But they pressured him on 33% of his draft back dropbacks. Jared Goff had a terrible game. Four first-half turnovers, including one for a defensive touchdown. Those four turnovers by the Rams is the most by any NFL team in the first half this season. The Rams ended up losing that game 28-7 at Hard Rock Stadium. The Rams are up to 5-3 and three on the season. Dolphins improved to 4-3 and three this year, and I'm wondering if Brian Flores, Randy, might be the Belichick assistant to pull it all together outside of New England. People are thinking that could be the case. He does a great job of developing defensive game plans for the opposition. The key for him 
And it's been this way for a lot of the defensive guys that Belichick has turned out, Romeo Crennel, Mangini, even some of the offensive guys like Bill O'Brien. Is he going to be able to build a dynamic offense? And they wanted to give the opportunity to Tua. And one of the reasons they did, and we talked about this during the break, one of the reasons they wanted to give the opportunity to Tua is to find out what they have because they have two firsts and two seconds. And one of those firsts, by the way, is Houston's. They may wind up with the first pick in the draft. So maybe they do take Trevor Lawrence. Can you imagine making that decision? I think it's kind of like the Andrew Luck decision. Like if the Rams would have not had that win because of a bad snap in Cleveland Mm -hmm. and they had Sam Bradford who had been taken number one in 2010. If you have the chance to take a Luck or a Lawrence, you got to take him. You got to take him. You can't. I couldn't pass up on a Trevor Lawrence, even if however much I loved the guy that I had. You just can't walk away from a Trevor Lawrence. Especially in the Sunshine State. To get Sunshine as your quarterback? That's right. Fourth down. Michelle staying in the great state of Florida but with a not-so-great team. Uh-oh. The Jacksonville Jaguars are going to start somebody named Jake Luton against Houston on Sunday. That's because their quarterback, Gardner Minshew, has fracture and ligament damage in his right thumb. We all remember the Jaguars being in the AFC Championship game in 2017. Yes. So we've played the 2018-2019 seasons. That is 32 games. Plus, they've played six this year. In 38 games since playing in the AFC Championship game, the Jaguars have lost six Pro Bowl defensive players. They have descended to number 26 offensively in points scored this year, 31st defensively. There are 32 teams in the league, 26 on offense, 31st on defense, and now they're going to start a rookie sixth-round quarterback, hoping that he becomes the next Tom Brady. This organization is a disaster and as we say about organizations that are disasters or are good it starts at the top and unfortunately that starts with a guy who was in champagne mm-hmm. and could have been the owner of the rams shad khan it's a horrible organization yeah the london jaguars randy not looking great no, right now kind of scuffling i always wonder if that's on the back burner it's got to be if, if you're playing, planning to play a couple of years, uh, games a year in London, and you've got the stadium set up over there, I would have to think that London is something that they're angling for, for the same reason that Kroenke went to L.A., for the money. And whenever I see a team who has had any sort of rumors of moving be mirrored in some losses and a bad time in the organization, I just tend to put two and two together. It's yeah. a lot easier to move a team that's bad. It really is, and they are... They're epically bad. They're they're terrible. By the way, during uh, this last break that we were in, there was a feature on Get Up on ESPN TV, and you might you can watch it later, I guess, later in their show. Uh, worst the Ram, are the Rams the worst five win team in the NFL? React overreaction or reaction? And uh, everybody said that no, legitimately they are the worst five win team in the league. Legitimately, you agree? Yeah. Do you? Of course I do. But I I just want to double check to make sure. I'm looking up something really quick. Okay. Steelers are better. Chiefs are better. Seahawks are better. Bucks are better. Bills are better. Packers are better. Titans are better. Saints are better. Ravens are better. So it's between the Cardinals. The Colts are better. The Browns? So it... Okay. (laughs) The Browns. The Cardinals. The Rams. The Browns and the Bears. Cardinals, the Rams, the Browns, and the Bears. Cardinals are better. 
Would you take the Bears over the Rams? I can't. The Rams beat them. We don't have home field anymore. I can't. I, I would like to do that, but I can't. What do you think the confidence level is from people internally in L.A. with Jared Goff on a week-to-week basis? And on a scale of 1 to 10, do you think that they go into every game chilling around a 5, maybe a 6.2? I would say, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, 5, 6. That can't be a great feeling. No, and he was a disaster on Sunday against the Dolphins. So bad. In fact, DeFar tweeted that that was the worst first half of offensive football that he'd ever seen. And I tweeted back and mentioned that he did play on the 1998 St. Louis Rams. So he might have just tried to repress that memory. There also was a lot of bad offensive football played here in St. Louis. Yeah. And remember, their first game ever as, well, not ever, but their first game back as the L.A. Rams. Was it San Francisco where Herm Edwards said at halftime, that set offensive football back 50 years? (laughs) Want to lie. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Those are four downs here on 101 ESPN. By the way, the Steelers are a little bit underrated. And, and I do think that if the Steelers play Kansas City, I think the Chiefs would have a slight edge. But Pittsburgh is doing everything necessary to win games. And even though they lost their one of their best defensive players in their nerve center, Devin Bush, man, their defense is still playing great. Mike Tomlin is awesome. I know Steeler fans don't love Mike Tomlin. I love Mike Tomlin. How can you not love Mike Tomlin? I don't because they haven't won enough Super Bowls under him. Everybody that has one of those teams, the Packers, thought that way with McCarthy. If you only win one, you aren't winning enough. We have a little bit of that here in St. Louis with the Cardinals. I understand it. Um, But I also understand if you're the Green Bay Packers and you're a fan of the Packers and you have Aaron Rodgers, you should think that you should be winning multiple Super Bowls with him. But aside from the Patriots, who's winning multiple Super Bowls? That's a good point. That's it's as Jay Zygmunt once said, as the Rams went through the 2000 season, and they finished ten and six. And we would complain that the Rams only won forty-one to thirty-six rather than winning forty-three to nothing. And he would commiserate with me and say, "Man, people just don't realize how hard it is to win a game in the NFL. It's hard. It's really hard to win a Super Bowl. It's hard to win a game." In the NFL. Mm-hmm. And here are the Steelers at 7-0. and I'd feel pretty good if I were a Steeler fan at 7-0. and Yes, you would. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, today's big thing. We want to hear who your coach or manager that would make a good president is. Send us a mic drop with the 101 ESPN app. You can also send us a text via the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Are we going to vote for Yachty to stay or Wayno? That's another thing we've got coming up on today's big thing on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 902 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle and Randy, and Michelle is hanging in there very strongly, <laughs> by the way, with the, the 75 hard challenge. I, I bailed after 27 days. Scotty bailed after a day. Uh, and Michelle, you're rolling right along here. You started on October 1st. Here we are on it's November. Day 34. Day 34. <laughs> it's day, and you, I know it. It's day 34. You, you told me during the break that you are you started to have a chai latte. Yeah. In the afternoon, when you would have ordinarily chosen coffee as your vice, and I said, "Look, everybody has a vice. Everybody has an addiction. If you can honestly text in." 
6570 and tell us you don't have a vice. You don't have anything that you have every single day or do every single day. I won't believe you. You can text in and say it, but I still won't believe you. Do you have one? Of course. What is I, it? And it's, uh, number one, I, I have to have Propel. I drink a ton of Propel. Oh, so water is your well, vice? <laughs> but no, the, the chocolate-covered almonds, I, I'm still... You know, one of the first things I did after I bailed was went and got chocolate-covered almonds. Did you do it that night or did you wait till the next day? I had to wait till the next day. Because <laughs> the reason that I bailed is because it was like, it was the day it was like 34 degrees and pouring. And I, you, I give you credit for getting outside and working out. I was not, I, I wasn't able to do that. Other than that day and one other day that was pretty cold, we've been super lucky. lucky with the weather lately. Yeah. So I'm just crossing my fingers and praying that this will continue at least until close to Thanksgiving. Because once I get to Thanksgiving, I'm in the home stretch. Yeah. If I can get can past Thanksgiving, I'm good. But yeah, I don't know. I was just asking you because I was clearly addicted to coffee. That's why I removed it as we started 75 Hard. But now I'm craving a chai and I'm having one every day. You're fine. I say you're fine. Thanks. Okay. Uh, from the 314, I'm addicted to 101 ESPN. <laughs> smart, smart. Good uh, addiction. Uh, all right. Uh, from the 618, who would your coach or manager be to be president of the United States of America? From the 618, Greg Popovich, no nonsense, military background, proven leader. It's true. He would be, he is a great leader and would be a great president. How would you like him up at the podium? I'd like it. I wouldn't want to ask questions, but I'd like it. It would be entertaining for me. <laughs> I would I would not want to be one of the journalists in the pool, though. I can tell you that. Now, one of my great heroes in leadership and a guy I consider a friend turned 84 last week. And maybe 10 years ago, certainly 15 years ago, would have been perfect. We are not going to use Trent Green as an excuse for losing. We will rally around Kurt Warner and we'll play good football. Hey, no excuses. Just That's get right. the job done. We will rally around Kurt Warner, and we will mm-hmm. play good football. We will rally together, and we will be a great country. Right. I could see it. Yeah, he would have been perfect. And one thing about people like DV, Tony, Joe Torrey, Whitey Herzog, Joel Quenville, I don't know Craig Berube that well, but I get the sense of the same thing, is that those guys, whether they were managing or coaching a sports team or managing U.S. Bank outside our door, or running a country, they would do well because they were logical and they managed people rather than things. And at the end of the day, what you need to do to be an effective, great leader is you need to manage people. That's what it comes down to. You need to do a good job of that. I'm thinking about great leaders in sports or great coaches in sports, at least from a success standpoint. And what about Saban and or Belichick? Do you think they would they are clearly great at what they do? Clearly great leaders to the point where they've been able to get so many people to believe in their process and have great success for an extended period of time. But what do you think about either of them as the president? I believe Saban would be fine. Saban wants people to do well. There's a reason that he has five assistants that are coaching in the SEC. He's got more charisma. I remember Belichick, a Belichick story. I think the statute of limitations has passed for this. So Bel- Belichick tells all of his assistants to stay on a weekend in the spring one time to review tapes and find players for the draft. And buried in all of these tapes is one player and coaches find him and he stands out and it winds up being a player that was taken the previous year. 
in the draft. And he just wanted to make sure that his coaches went through all the tapes and they found this guy. And so, and if they didn't go through it, he was going to fire him. That seems unnecessary, though. Yeah. So that's that's Belichick's leadership style. It's not great. Saban's, I, Saban's leadership style is much more people friendly. How angry would you have been if you were one of the people I had to watch the tape? Oh, I, I know one of them, and he was very angry. I would have been furious. Yeah. Um, it was a def- big defensive lineman for. I don't know if it was Leon Lett. It was a big defensive lineman for the Cowboys. I don't remember who it was, but it was. That was a bad thing to do. Yeah, it was. Now you also want your leader to show a little bit of fire. Now I don't give a f- who we play. We're gonna f- him up. We're gonna take it right to him the whole f- way. We're gonna kick the f- ass. We're gonna be the greatest country in the world. That's right. Nobody messes with us ever, ever. ever. <laughs> How much better is that speech now that we know that it was Randy Rosarena who filmed it? I think better. it's worse. I think it's yeah. far worse because yeah, I wonder if yeah. that contributed at all. Yeah, uh, It was DeMarcus Ware from the 314. It was DeMarcus Ware. Yeah, that's the player that they found. So that, not great leadership. We get a Mike Tomlin from the 636. I'm on board with Mike Tomlin. I would go Tony Dungy. He might not want to do it, but Mike Tomlin would be great. Uh, Chris Long, because he's a great humanitarian. From the 314, Bill Parcells. Who would have been perfect? You mentioned that right off the top earlier in the show. Well, hey, that was your first pick, I think, right? Don't tell me about the labor. Just show me the baby. That's right. So just get things done. And the other thing Parcells did, Vermeil did, surround yourself with great, smart people. Allow them to do their jobs. Tell them you love them, and you'll succeed. I think that's a great philosophy. Let's get to Brendan with a mic drop on 101 ESPN. I mean, who I think would make a great president. I, I mean, Schultz might, but he'd have to be the chief. Imagine any country talking smack on the U.S. He'd be like, hey, square up. Imagine Putin talking smack and chief just beating the brakes off of him. Imagine that. I would like that. I could see chief in some of those negotiations being very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's like when he first got hired by the Blues and all the players went to YouTube immediately and watched old videos of oh, him fighting? fighting? Yep. Do you think that's what other countries would do as soon as he got elected? Be like, uh-oh, yeah. look at these videos that we found of Chief. Yeah, and look how fired up his people must be now yeah. after he came into the room and talked to them like he did. But he's he's going to get cause a whole country to have goosebumps about how great they can be. I would love it. So it's it's not bad being so intimidating that you're kind of the hated country. If you're the superpower and you're hated, it's a great thing. Uh, how about this? Coach Drink 2020. Uh, Too so early. F- so I was going to say, so far so good, but I would like a bigger sample size. From the 314, Coach Herman Boone for president. Remember the Titans? No nonsense. Great with race relations. Would bring this country together. That's right. I'm in for a fictional candidate. Why not? I like that idea. The sheriff, Peyton Manning. How can you not mention him? He's a good leader. Yes. He, he has a good personality. He's comfortable in front of the camera. He might be better as a uh, presidential spokesperson. I don't know. I've seen him on all those commercials. I think he would want to endorse himself. Uh, That might be. Let's hear another mic drop from Rob. I know it's outside the box a little bit, but I think that a really good coach for that job would be Dick Vermeil. 
He is completely 100% likable. He got people in that locker room of all those teams he coached that didn't like each other to play as a unit and work with one goal. And he seems to be a person who doesn't make rash decisions and also listens to other people around him, like his coaches and uh, his quarterback and things like that. That's what we need. We need that sort of leadership ability in the White House. I'm in. I, I think sports is the way to go. I think we, especially since politics has essentially become sports, what we need is a sports person in that leadership role so that you can try to unify Except there's always going to be some facet of the country that hates that person because of a rivalry and because of the success that they've had. Yeah, so Mike Tomlin would be hated by the people in Baltimore, yeah, for exactly. example. But Nick Saban can... would be hated by a lot of other families. Well, that's true. But I wonder how many people actually hate Popovich or Kerr. That's a great question. Certainly there's a segment of... Because of their political leanings. I was going to say, because of the things that they've been vocal about. Yeah, I'm there, sure there, that there are some people that is don't a segment like of society. But from just from a leadership perspective and the way that they run their operation, it's very impressive. And obviously it works. It's very successful. So I'm, I'm going Do you think there's them. anyone else in St. Louis currently right now that we've... What about the people who brought MLS to St. Louis? Carolyn Kendall Betts, Mr. Kavanaugh. They, yeah. they rallied a community together. They got things done. They got a, they got St. Louis excited about a new team. What about Kurt Hunsaker? Oh, he'd be great, wouldn't he? Think about what he, he was able to accomplish in St. Louis with the Battle Hawks in a very short time frame. Yeah, he, he has the ability to rally people. That'd be fun. Think Good about call. what that dome was like and the environment that he created. He created a massively pas- passionate fan base based mm-hmm. on nothing but hope. Yeah. And that's what he could provide for the con- for the c- country. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN's Character and Smallman, and that is today's big thing coming your way. You're killing me, Smalls. Caw-caw. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it's time for. We know that Odell Beckham Jr. tore his ACL and the Browns win over the Bengals. But according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, it's maybe not just his season that's over. It's his tenure with the Browns. Here's what Rappaport had to say on NFL Network. The Cleveland Browns play the Raiders today, their first game without Odell Beckham Jr. He is out for the season with a torn ACL. And from my understanding, there's a very real possibility that he has played his final game with the Cleveland Browns. Based on his contract, they cannot cut him if they did want to move on. He's got $12 million that is going to be fully guaranteed right around the start of the league year when he is not yet healthy enough uh, to be moved. So he is going to be on the roster at the start of the league year. If they did want to trade him, it would probably be around the spring or the summer. Now, Rich, uh, Beckham has never really fully embraced Cleveland. He's never had a good rapport with Baker Mayfield. And as we saw last week, they may be playing better without him. So what do you think? Will Cleveland trade him? What do you think the market would be like for him? I don't see how a team, one of the other 31, is going to trade for a wide receiver that's coming off of a torn ACL like that. Who, if 
we want to take in Ian Rappaport's account, didn't embrace the city that he was drafted mm-hmm. to, is having issues with the starting quarterback, and is coming off injury, and has that contract. If you're o- Odell Beckham, and this is something that you're hearing, that has to be concerning for you. Yeah, and if I'm the Browns, I would think about cutting him sooner rather than later because eventually, if they keep Baker Mayfield, he's going to get a contract, right? Yeah. And I believe they still have some cap space available. So if you have to eat that money, eat it sooner rather than later. If you don't think that the guy's going to be able to play effectively for you, eat it sooner rather than later. There's no way. For example, look at Belichick. They could use a wide receiver, right? Not today, but next year. They they started two undrafted guys. Is Belichick going to trade for a guy coming off an ACL? No, not even a seventh-round pick when he has to give him $12 million. Yeah, no. So uh, I think Odell probably has some problems that he needs to solve if he's going to be accepted by the NFL physically and in terms of accepting and being accepted within an organization. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, I loved this story, Randy. We're going to have to give some shouts to Chicago. So John Lester officially became a free agent on Friday, and he found an awesome way to show his appreciation to Cubs fans. So he tweeted this out on Friday morning. He said, regardless of what's next, I want to thank the fans for the past six years. So this weekend, this past weekend, I'm buying y'all. He's a y'all guy. <laughs> I'm buying y'all my favorite beer. And he selected uh, four different uh bars in Wrigleyville, Hopsmith, The Lodge, Butch McGuire's, and Shenanigans. They're all in Division Street. And he said, just tell him to put it on hashtag John's John's tab. And how much did he spend? I don't have the final tally yet. I believe it was 47 grand. 47 grand. I also thought this was cool. Another Wrigleyville bar called Nisi Lounge. They donated $1 from every sale of Coors Light because that was the beer of his choice. Or excuse me, and Miller Light. Miller Light was the beer of his choice. To his NVRQT Never Quit Charity, which helps raise funds for children's cancer research. So what, what a way to say goodbye. That's fantastic. Good. That is. And what do you spend there? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, six years there. So what does Wayno do for St. Louis if he leaves? Great question. Do you think he will do something? What is it? Everybody gets a single rib from Pappy's? There's a good play. I like that. (laughs) Or, you know, whatever. He puts this much money, maybe 50, because 50 grand in the pot. And Mm. every, for 50 grand, however many people show up, get a free rib or a free Pappy's meal. I could see that. What would Yachty, would Yachty do something if he left? I would hope so. He loves St. Louis and he loves Cardinal fans. Calls them the best fans in America. And he rides for St. Louis. Yeah, big time. When Chris yeah. Bryant said St. Yeah. Louis was boring, Yachty was the first one to snap back. What do you think Yachty would do as a goodbye? That's a great question. I, I that, that is a good question. I don't know. We'll have to ask Yachty next time we have him on. What would be the most endearing thing you could do for St. Louis? Like this, if you're a Cubs fan and John Lester is giving you a free beer, that's a pretty good, hey, thanks. This is a mutual appreciation club. Yeah, I think it's along those lines. I think it's an Anheuser-Busch product. Yeah, Bud, Bud Light, Michelob Ultra, something like that. Toasted Ravs, maybe. Yeah, and have four different places that people can go and put it on Uncle Charlie's tab. That'd be very cool. Put it on John's tab. How cool. 
You're killing me, Small. Okay, meanwhile, Randy, across town, another baseball team, another social media post, but this one is a little bit more awkward than John Lester's. So Rick Renteria was named a finalist for American League Manager of the Year, and this announcement comes three weeks after the White Sox fired him and hired <laughs> Tony La Russa. Uh, the Sox weren't being petty about it. They tweeted, congratulations to Rick Renteria on being a finalist for AL Manager of the Year. So if you're the White Sox, that has to be an uncomfortable position for you to be in. Didn't they part ways? It wasn't a firing, was it? They parted ways. It was a mutual parting of ways. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I would just keep quiet on that one. I know it's a nice thing to do, but you have a new manager and you did part ways with your old manager. So move on from the other manager that you had. Who, by the way, poor guy, he... he, has a great team in Chicago and Madden takes over and leads them to the World Series, builds a great team again in Chicago with the White Sox. And now Tony's going to get the opportunity to lead the, the product that he built. What do you think Chicago sports talk radio is like? A lot of people there not pleased with the decision mm-hmm. to hire Tony La Russa, and then Rick Renteria is named a finalist for manager of the year. I would think there's a lot of complaining and I would guess that A.J. Hinch getting hired within the division probably causes some consternation, too. That's true. And I I just appreciated that they gave him a shout. I thought that was a classy thing to do. It was a classy but awkward thing, like you said. It's I don't know that I would have. uh, If I'm the social media department for the White Sox, I don't think I would have done that. But it's been done before. The Raptors, when they fired their head coach a few years ago, Casey, I think Dwayne Casey, won Coach of the Year. Oh, yeah, that's right. And they congratulated him on social media. But what do you do? Just ignore it altogether? Pretend that it didn't happen? It's still attached to your franchise. But you didn't think he was the Coach of the Year, did you? Because you fired him. Yeah, you thought he was good, but not good enough. Right. So if you thought that much of him, you should have kept him. Maybe you have a video of Tony La Russa congratulating him. That would have been pretty funny. Congratulations. Your office looks great. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for all you did for the White Sox and for me. You're tied for first. <laughs> You're tied for first. <laughs> that's that's maybe the play. I don't know. I just don't think you can ignore it altogether. I would have. Let the media talk about it. The media is going to talk about it. You don't have to do it. But then you, it looks... Su- a little suspect, yeah, that you didn't say anything. Because you're supposed to tweet about the team, and this is an award that's, you're a finalist for an award, and your team name is attached to the manager. Yeah. But it was also petty to fire a guy after going to the playoffs. Is it petty? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, I think it's, uh, he, he didn't cost them that series against Oakland. Sometimes you just need a new voice. Yeah. So, and they have one. That's true. And it's going to be great. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome, Randy. thanks for your texts to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Next up, we're going to be joined by ESPN.com's Mike Sando. Talk some NFL and ask if he thinks Russell Wilson is the league's MVP. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Our friend Mike Sando is a senior writer at The Athletic, and he joins Michelle and Randy on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Mike, it's always great to have you on here in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning? Good. I just smile hearing the familiar voice. You know, we we used to talk more when we had uh, the team there, but it's great to hear you, and I'm sure it'll be great to hear Michelle here, too. That's right, Mike. It's always great to talk to you, but uh, let's talk about NFL trade deadline. What are some rumors that you're hearing? What are some teams we should be tracking today? 
Well, Philadelphia has been trying to get rid of some of their bad money, you know, on their on their team. Yet at the same time, they're in a race, right? And they're in their division. They're probably going to win it. So I think they could be a team that is intriguing. Like, uh, do they think they could win the division anyway? You know, offloading players. Is anybody really going to be a buyer? Uh, because I think next season we're going to have a smaller salary cap. Uh, and if you have unused space this year, you get to carry it over. So. I think that's why we're not seeing um, that many big moves. But they would be a team to watch, I, I think, for sure. And, you know, I think everyone's looking at Green Bay, like, are they going to get a receiver? But they never really do. So <laughs> the deadline will probably pass, and they probably won't. I would if I were them. You wrote in The Athletic about the Patriots, who are now 2-5, and five, and uh, they look like they're not going to make the playoffs. But is there really much to sell in New England? Uh, not really. You know, I mean, I, no one's going to you know, make a big splash for the players on their team. I think that that's one of their problems, right? I mean, they, they've obviously had great teams, but the individual parts on those teams, uh, besides obviously Tom Brady and, you know, Rob, Rob Gronkowski when he was there, aren't overly appealing. So, uh, you know, are they going to unload a Stephon Gilmore? Is somebody going to be a buyer for that? Um it seems like a long shot to me. Mike, I do think it's a badge of honor for Belichick in that you, you mentioned probably the two Hall of Famers that they drafted in the last 20 years in Brady and Gronkowski, but they've still won a half a dozen Super Bowls. But I, I couldn't agree more with the premise of your piece about how this year really isn't as much a product like Belichick said about not having cap space as it is about not identifying good players that you're drafting. Absolutely. They have $3 million in their cap on the quarterback position. The Colts have $47 million, right? So you should be having somewhat of, of an advantage with having inexpensive quarterback play for the rest of your roster. I mean, the bottom line is Bill Belichick as a head coach has won 77% of his games when Brady started and 46% when he doesn't start. And that's the way it just is in the league, right? I mean, you can find any good coach uh, they're going to be much better when they have a really great quarterback. They don't have that this year, and that's uncovering some of the warts. And let's face it, frankly, last year we could see some of those warts too. They they went 12-4. and four. They were great on defense. They played a really bad schedule of opposing quarterbacks, and they were able to win. But it's come apart a little this year. And, look, the COVID excuse is a good one for them. They had three good starting players opt out. Um, I think what's puzzling is why is Belichick bringing this up? If he doesn't bring it up, I'm probably thinking, golf. Buffalo went all in this year, and they can barely beat New England. You know what I mean? Buffalo is trading for digs. I mean, they got Josh Allen. They're excited. They're really peaking. And they almost lost the dang game to, to, to New England, which can't do anything right. You're so right, Mike. By him bringing it up, it then opens up the criticism for him, <laughs> us labeling it as an excuse. You're absolutely right. People probably wouldn't be talking about it had he not brought it up. But I want to ask no. you. I want to ask you about uh, Lamar Jackson. So the Ravens lose to the Steelers. It was a, a big game. Everybody had their eyes on it. He threw a pick six, four turnovers. wasn't a great performance for him. And the conversation then becomes: Can Lamar Jackson win the big one? Do you think there's a nugget of truth to that, or do you think it's a bit of an overreaction? You know, the nugget of truth to it just is that there's a big gap between how great he is as a player and how great he is as a quarterback when you have to throw the ball more, right? I mean, that's the gap we're talking about. And so when you play, uh, not so much in this, this Pittsburgh game, it was somewhat of a factor, but when they've had to play Kansas City in the playoffs or some of those big games, let's face it, the other team's going to score points and you're going to get out of your comfort zone and you're going to have to do, play the game in a way that they're not really set up to play it. 
So that just kind of is what it is. I don't think they're going to suddenly become great at that. It doesn't mean they can't win big games. I mean, heck, if, if there's a fumble down there and he fumbled it, I mean, that's on him. But they maybe win that game otherwise, right? I mean, it was really close to them winning the game. So I think we just have to not go overboard and say that Lamar Jackson chokes or he can't win the big game. I mean, look, most teams don't win the games against the best teams, right? They're just on that edge of being, they're clearly one of the best teams, but they haven't gotten over that hump. Mike Sander from The Athletic with us on 101 ESPN. And along those lines, Mike, I would think that Lamar is going to be dramatically affected by the loss of Ronnie Stanley. That's uh, It's not an underrated loss by any stretch, but how does Lamar operate without his stud left yeah. tackle? I think he's better off than a lot of guys. If, if you couldn't move and had to, were in a drop-back passing game, the opposite extreme of their offense would be the greatest show on turf where uh, Warner's dropping back deep and you got to have Orlando Pace holding up because it's a seven-step drop and we're throwing the ball 25 yards down the field on every down, right? Well, what do they do? They, they had a 10-play drive uh, late in the game in the fourth quarter. They went 69 yards and they never passed. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think they can I think they can hide it uh, much better than most teams through the scheme of their run game, through the fact that their quarterback, even if you beat their left tackle, their quarterback might run for 10 yards or you might run for 50 yards. So um, I, th- I don't think that hurts them as much as it would a team that had an immobile quarterback with a timing passing game. Mike, I never know what to make of Baker Mayfield. It feels like my opinion pendulum swings on him from week to week. So as we sit yeah. here at the halfway point, how would you evaluate Baker Mayfield with the Browns sitting at five and three? Yeah, I think your evaluation really just reflects kind of what a tier three quarterback is. And my quarterback tier th- tiers poll every year, you're good enough to win with him, but a lot of stuff's got to be a right around him. And if you have to lean on him too much, um, it's going to expose him more than reveal him as a star and reason for your win. So I think he's a win with quarterback more than a win because of quarterback. They know that, and it dovetails with the type of offense that Kevin Stefanski wants to run. Uh, but for the most part, when they get out of that comfort zone and don't have the balance, um, you're going to see inconsistent results from him because there's questions, can he see really well from the pocket? He's not a refined pocket passer. And then just athletically, he's not Lamar Jackson, right? If it breaks down, he's not going to – he may run for a first down, but he's not going to scare the defense. Mike, I think in every, in every approach that we take to voting for MVP, in my opinion right now at the midway point, Russell Wilson's the guy with his team defense allowing 28 points a game with who his backup is. I know he's got some nice receivers now this year, but he elevates guys. Is there anybody else in the hunt right now with Russell Wilson for MVP? It's funny, you know, I was watching, uh, looking at some stat thing that came over. Um, Pat Mahomes has 21 touchdowns and one interception, and no one's talking about him for MVP. And his team, 7-1, and one, by the way, has a higher winning percentage than Seattle, right? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Um, and I, yet I do feel like we all can see that the defense in Seattle um, has made it harder to win. So um, I do agree that Wilson is the front runner, but, you know, Aaron Rodgers has 20 touchdowns and two interceptions. There's some guys with amazing numbers. I think we just sort of feel like uh, Russell Wilson is doing more because even though he has some pretty good weapons, it's not maybe quite as great of weapons as Kansas City. And then Kansas City, you know, I think there's a tension on the fact that Wilson hasn't gotten an MVP vote before, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that helps him actually this year. It feels like, okay, it's sort of like, 
Mahomes is now Belichick. Like Belichick has to go like fifteen and one to be coach of the year, right? Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just like, oh, you know, Belichick was twelve and four. No one even talks about him as the MVP. So maybe it's Russell Wilson's turn, and we kind of feel that. Mike, which five and three team do you trust more, the Bears or the Rams? Oh wow! I guess I trust the Rams more. I think they're both pretty good on defense. Maybe the Bears are a little better, but they're both pretty good on defense. And then we we question the quarterbacks of the teams, but I think. In the McVeigh Goff marriage, like that's better than Nagy and what they have on Chicago. So I'm going to lean towards the Rams side, but certainly we can see them. They when they get out of their element, you know, they, they can look bad too. Who comes out of the NFC East? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I think it's probably going to be Philadelphia, um, you know, by default on it, but ugly, isn't it? It's really hard to watch. Deck Dallas is unwatchable. I really have a hard time. Sunday night, I think I finished my column earlier than normal because I was barely watching the game. It was like, this isn't even worth watching. You know, Mike, I have not watched a ton of the Giants. I know that they've played in a lot of close games. And last night, they made, I think, the Buccaneers look worse than they are. I'm kind of getting a, a 1996 Tony Dungy first year with the Bucks vibe with Joe Judge and the, the, the Giants here. And it's all going to come down to the quarterback, obviously, although with Dungy, he never really had one. But I, I see that team ascending a little bit, even though they're one and seven. I know, but their quarterback has seven touchdowns, nine interceptions, and keeps throwing the ball to the other team right. when he's harassed. So I think they have a really interesting um, situation because I think you're right. You can see some other good things, right? I mean, the, the defense gave uh, Brady some problems. They played well enough to win the game, uh, other than their quarterback turning it over. Yet coming into the year, what they were hoping was, hey, we may not have that good of a team, but at least we have a quarterback that we think we can build around. It may be the opposite by the end of the year. They may be one of those teams that – uh, has a top five pick in the draft and a real decision to make, right? I mean, are you going to roll with Daniel Jones for the next three years when he keeps doing the things he does decision-making-wise, not protecting the ball? And they're, they're showing graphics on the screen with Ryan Leaf's name in them, you know? Yeah, and they really don't. Uh, you talk about them being in that game last night against a good team, and their their weapons aren't that great. They'd be a different team, I think, with Saquon, and they, they don't have great wide receivers. The anger in the tight end is fine, but there's a lot of elements that he doesn't have either. Not to, de- uh, not to defend the guy, yeah. but they're doing what, uh, what I'm seeing is they're doing pretty well, but they still have needs. I think Judge is doing a good job, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. For, for maybe that's how our expectations of the Giants. You know, they're one and seven, and we're actually feeling like it's better than it's been. I mean, that maybe tells you where they've been, but I'm kind of with you a little bit. Like, like, okay, they're building something there. Let's see, you know, what they're going to do next year. And I think, like I said, big decisions to be made. Do you keep Dave Edelman and stay on that path? Do you do you ride with Daniel Jones? I mean, those are huge things that are going to affect um, the next few years. But you maybe you do feel like okay. There's at least a little bit more stability or or there's a plan with our head coach. Last thing, and uh, I, I'm ambivalent about the Niners, but, man, I feel sorry for them. I've, I don't think I've ever seen a team lose as many stars as the Niners have lost this year. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, And, and it, what it shows me is those opportunities when you do get to the Super Bowl are precious. Mm-hmm. You, know, you think you're in this window and you think, okay, we're going to have Kittle back and we got our quarterback maybe. And all of that can feel very differently, very quickly. So when you get there, you better win that dang thing because you may never get back. Mike Sando, great to hear your voice. We have to do this more often. 
Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. We'll see you later. That is our friend Mike Sando from The Athletic, and he's been a friend of 101 ESPN for a long time. When you were producing, right? That's right. He used to come on with Bernie weekly, I believe, at the Mm -hmm. time. And he puts out great work. Love his quarterback tears. Yeah, it's great. And he uh, he does have a great piece up at The Athletic now about Belichick and the excuse that Belichick made last week and about how many good players, or not good players, they have drafted over the last few years. Coming up, Scoops with Danny Mack, and we'll cross things over with our buddy, the voice of the Cardinals, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Daniel McLaughlin is here in the studio scoops with Danny Mac. Thanks for uh, filling in for me yesterday. How was the uh, anniversary? It was good. 34 years. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. I don't That's know a hell of an accomplishment. It really is. On Joan's behalf. Well, <laughs> my recommendation, if you want to equal this accomplishment, yeah. and Dan has found that out during the course of this pandemic, uh, Get your basement built in. Yeah, I see. So damn right. <laughs> I Just thought it was right be to that basement, man. Communication about understanding about doing thoughtful things. No, make no, sure you just, have your own space. Yeah, just separate for a little bit. Just <laughs> sep- not separate, separate. Just separate within the the building, the yeah. house. You so, know, you just you know get get your yeah. space. Here is the ultimate Pavlov's dog. Hopefully, I made uh, not okay, separate. No. You know, no. Yes, okay, no, we yeah, got just, it. okay, good. Be, yeah, physically separated right. from each other. A little upstairs, bifle. downstairs action. <laughs> so when I was doing the fast lane, I would come home in the evening, and I could, and it didn't matter. Like if she was back in the kitchen, we have like an open space from family room, dining room area, kitchen. So I could go like to the back of the couch, and my hand would get within a foot of the remote control, and she'd yell, "You've got a theater room downstairs." That's right. You you go on down there. You take care of business there. You watch your games, yep. whatever you yeah. got to do, and whatever she's going to watch. And so. you just you have your snacks. I got my snacks. That's how you, you know, that's how you get to thirty four years. That's right. <laughs> My wife she. drinks her wine. I drink my water. <laughs> yep. It's all good, you know. And we make it. We somehow make it. I don't know how. I don't, well, really, the question needs to be asked to her. I don't know how she does it. She's. Oh yeah, I'm the same way. We had four kids in three and a half years, man. That's wow. Yeah. How long have you guys been married? Why did you ask me that, Randy? Because um, I was at your wedding, and I'm trying to think of what year it was. So am I. Uh, thanks, <laughs> and thank goodness my wife She's is not, not listening. So. uh I don't know. It's 16 years. Okay. That's, yeah. See, that's an accomplishment, too. That's that impressive. Is. 16 years. I'm, yeah. I'm, and it's been just, you know, what a bliss win. along the way. It is. I've been really easy to deal with. <laughs> really easy. We all know. No bumps in the road. It's been great. Yeah. It's been so easy. Yeah. So She's as steady as they come, man. She's awesome. She's great. Yeah. Great mom. So I have a uh, a question for you. Yes, sir. About the Cardinals having no representation at all in the awards. I it's, thought Mike Shields should have been a finalist. <clears throat> it seems like it, it. I think this goes back. Michelle and I talked to about this earlier. It goes back to the fact that he won last year. Absolutely. I think that's part of it. I think that if he won the previous year, it's really hard, I think, for um, any of the voters to say, well, I voted for him last year. Maybe we need fresh blood this year, which I understand. But the circumstances were so dramatic yes. this year. Yeah. I, I think any of the guys that dealt with the COVID situation, like Don Mattingly, who would have gotten my vote, um, even over Mike Schilt, um, because I think Mike had more talent than um, than Miami, although Miami had really good pitching. But I just think when Don Mattingly literally walked onto a field at one point and said, 
hey, how you doing? And shaking guys, well, I guess fist bumping mm-hmm. and elbow bumping with face masks and said, how you doing? You know, welcome to the Marlins. And, you know, you're my whatever position he was. <laughs> That's incredible what he went through. So I was looking it up. He They used 61 different players at one point in 60 different games. Oof. That's incredible. That's amazing. And a lot of these guys were not homegrown guys, or at least in their system. They were just picking up guys off the street and saying, we need to put bodies out there to feel the team. So he would get my vote. I can understand David Ross to an extent. They got off to a great start. Their bullpen wasn't very good. They had you Darvish. You Darvish was awesome. He's a finalist for the Cy Young Award. But their pitching really wasn't very good. Their lineup was really good, but their pitching wasn't very good. So I can understand that. First-year manager. Um, and Jace Tingler, you know, good story in San Diego. They're a very good team. Second-best so, record. Yeah, I can understand that. But I really thought... Mike should have gotten more consideration. And that's not being a homer, man. That's just being somebody that was there and saw it and talked to people behind the scenes. What they went through was really difficult, and it should have been taken into consideration. One other thing that Schilt had that Mattingly didn't is a built-in culture. When you walk into that Cardinal clubhouse as a player that hasn't been there before, there's Yachty and there's Wayno and Flaherty's been around for Goldschmidt. a few years. Goldie. So you've got a built-in culture. There's nobody like that. I would agree Marlins. with that. Yeah. I, although I always say this, talent trumps that kind of stuff, and their pitching was really good. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of have – I was going to talk about this on the show, but I, as you look at the Cardinals, and they will address – at least I'd like to think so – their offense some way, somehow. They've got to. But they have what the Marlins had a year ago, and they and the Cardinals returned what they had a year ago, which got them in the postseason play, which is their pitching. I mean, that is that's undeniable. Their their pitching was at times very good this year. If they scored four runs, they won games. So they have a couple of guys in the pipeline too that probably will make an impact at some point next year. You know, even if they address it, patchwork some of the offense, I still think they can be competitive because of their pitching. Now. Is it enough to get them over the hump and compete with some of the teams that we saw at the tail end of the World Series? Probably not, offensively, certainly not. But time will tell. And as Michelle and I were talking yesterday, the key word for this entire offseason, probably for any team outside of maybe four that goes out and spends money, is uh, is patience. Just wait mm-hmm. until see what bargains are there, where we're at in our country, fans in the stands, what kind of budget you got, and then see what they do. See I how, really believe that. See how the market unfolds. I I. I I think that I I could be wrong, but you know I I always go back to like the Kyle Loesch signing. Remember when mm-hmm. he was signed at the in spring training? It was really late, and then he becomes a really good pitcher for the Cardinals. And I'm not saying they're going to go out and get a Kyle Loesch type, or it's going to wind up being that type of second baseman or outfielder, but it might. And some of the names that are out there are going to be still looking for jobs. I would imagine towards spring training, you, if not in spring training. You got a pretty important piece of your team in Brad Miller last year on the day before spring training. Exactly. Um, and he was, you know, carried the club at one point. Right. So, you know, there's guys that are going to be some big names as we go along. And it will be one of the more fascinating off seasons, probably in the, the history of the hot stove. I would assume the Mets would be aggressive. Guy's got mm-hmm. billions of dollars. He comes in with not the, the debt service that maybe other owners would have to deal with because he's worth, I think, 14 or 15 billion dollars. And he can come in and make an impact right away with what he wants to do. And buying in a depressed market. Why, Absolutely. If, with great players out there, why not buy him when nobody else is going to be spending? And able to take on contracts, maybe yep. that other teams are saying, hey, I'm I'm willing to unload uh, Chris Bryant. 
I'm willing. I'm just going to throw that name out there. I'm willing to unload contract X because Lindor. Lindor is another one. Lindor would be the Met that I'm thinking about. Now, who would you have to give up for him? Pete Alonso, maybe? I wouldn't want to do that. But that's the kind of guy yeah. I would have to take. What happens to Nolan Arenado? Where does he mm-hmm. go? You would have to think the Rockies are trying to unload that kind of that kind of deal. Absolutely. Um, none of these guys that have uh, options in their contracts are opting out. They're all going to opt in. Yeah. So, in, a, in a stunning development, Giancarlo Stanton is going to collect his two hundred thirty million. I was shocked with that at the yeah. age of what thirty one or thirty two. Yeah, he's been hurt for two years. He hasn't really <laughs> lived up to it. He wants to the rest of the two hundred million plus. What a shocker! Yeah, and in a very depressed market. Yeah. By the way, the MLB trade rumors site connected the Cardinals to four teams, right? Uh, well, to Jock Peterson. Yeah. Oh, okay. They, they I, was, had, they had, I, was, I thought you were going Molina. Oh, no. Uh, okay. But Molina, yeah, they have Molina re-signing here. That was their projection, but they also project that the Cardinals would sign Jock Peterson and he platoon. I, that's the one I, I really like um, for a number of reasons. He's 28, can play the outfield. Um, he mashes right-handed yep, pitching. I mean, he thing. destroys it. And I like Bader against left-handed pitching. He's very mm-hmm. good against – he has been that way since he came up. So Jock Peterson, you maybe get him on a one-year deal. And maybe Jock Peterson is saying, okay, I'm 28, and this I'll, I'll settle for a one-year deal. Just throwing mm-hmm. this out there. And uh, maybe the Cardinals play me against the lefties too, even if I struggle. But I have a chance to play every day and reset my market value and then go out and see what – is available after that year, or maybe it's with St. Louis, or it's a multi-year deal. Who knows? But he absolutely destroys right-handed right. pitching. So when you have a right-hander, it's Peterson in left, left. Carlson in center, Fowler in right, yeah. and then against a left-hander, it's Bader Peterson in, in left, and Baderson, Bader yeah. in center and Fowler. Yeah. And uh, then you, you can, O'Neill and Thomas and whoever else can... And float around. And look at how even both teams that were, were really many of the teams that were left in postseason play, look at how they um, set their lineups. Not a lot of set lineups. No, that's the way it is now. You're just kind of mixing and matching and who's there and okay, here are the numbers and righty, lefty, and yeah. that's how they, they did their lineups. There wasn't a lot of just, okay, here's one through eight and we throw it out there. Looking forward to scoops. What do we got? One of my favorite people. Uh, I don't know if you know him, Michelle. I know you know him, Randy, for sure. Um, been around forever, and he just retired at an early age, so we're all jealous. Maybe some of, well, at least I am. I know, Randy, you'll never retire. Michelle, you may retire. Scott, you're a ways away. Um, Chris Trevino. Chris Trevino is one of my favorite. He was one of the nicest people in the world. And still is. He's yeah, alive. he's great. Yeah. You said he was. <laughs> he's still here. Oh, yeah. He, well, he was a great and broadcaster. he's still a very nice guy. He's, yeah, he is. He's one of my favorites. I'm glad you have him on. Yeah, so he's coming up uh, talking Mizzou football, basketball, figure out what's going on, and uh, just love the guy. So we're going to visit with Chris Trevino. Looking forward to it. Thank thanks. you. Thanks, guys. Scotty, thanks. Great job. Thanks, Randy. It's our producer engineer, Scott Manziara. Michelle, you've already voted. You don't need to I get did. out I did. I already voted, yes. I voted, too. Good job. I yeah, will have you get voted out. yet? I will vote mid-morning when we're done here. So I'm seeing online that some of the lines are short, depending where you're at, and then some are like hour and a half, yeah. but vote, vote, vote. Bring snacks. And and uh, download the app. Yeah. And listen to the show. Stream Scoops with That's Danny the Mac. There you go. You know, right. why not? Come we, on, Rudy. you got to think big picture here. I am thinking big. That's a great idea, and I'm going to do that. You're the man. With my, uh, with my little beats from Dr. Michelle's going to use hers, too. Where, wait a minute, where are you? I noticed you had beats on yesterday. So I just, my old beats broke. So You're I not went, wearing them. Because they they didn't work today. 
Oh. Yesterday was the first day that I, I had them. Worked great. Today, plugged them in. Nothing. Is it operator error, you think? <laughs> I think or, so. uh, to charge them up going, again and see. What's going on here? I don't, it, may, it might be user error, but I'm not so sure. Okay. I'm not so sure. Well, we get to the yeah. bottom of that. I'll call Dr. Dre myself. You ever see, by the way, I know we got to go, right? Or uh, Tim Apple. Okay. <laughs> Have you seen the documentary yes. on Dr. Dre and Jimmy Ivey? It was incredible. It's incredible. You, you got to see it. Right? I have to watch it. Is it on Netflix? It's on HBO. HBO. Okay, I forget it. the name of it. It's right um, on the tip of my tongue. I'm going to look it up. Talk. Yeah. It, okay. I'll find it. It's Jim. one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. I've watched it three different times. Wow. Okay. I loved it. And it's it, but it goes into just hit the both the careers of, in music and how these two guys on opposite ends of the spectrum come together and develop. Beats by Dre, which then turns into music, and it's just, it's amazing. The Defiant Ones. The Defiant Ones, that's it. Okay. Jimmy oh, Iovine awesome. Jimmy has Iving. an unbelievable story. And I loved in that documentary how he talked about how you have to be relentless in the pursuit yeah. of greatness. If you want to accomplish a dream, you have to be relentless in going after it. And Jimmy Iovine is working with, you know, uh, U2 and the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, and here the, the that's one side of the spectrum. Here's Dr. Dre and rap music, and they come together and they develop beats by Dre. My headphones that don't work. Yeah, well, that's not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be watch the doc; it's amazing. Unlimited. <laughs> yeah, for all of us. Thanks awesome. for watching. I will. Thanks for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at seven, go vote today, and have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Looking for something to do this weekend? When it comes to sports, nothing beats cheering your team on live. Vivid Seats has tickets for every league, all the best matchups at great prices, and all with a 100% buyer guarantee. Plus, they're the only ticketing company where you can earn rewards with every purchase. No one else has that. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today and use Sports Now. For $10 off your first $100 purchase, Vivid Seats. Experience it live. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online.